Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Hey, far out, man. It's Monday, (laughs) the 10th of October, 2022, and it is time for Morning Combat. My name is Luke Thomas. I am merely one half of your hosting duo. I join you from the capital of Estados Unidos right here in Washington, D.C. Joined by my partner in crime. You know him by many names. The drug rug is in full effect. It's my friend and yours, the king of Connecticut, Brian Campbell. Hi, Brian. Luke, they call that a Baja hoodie professionally, just so you know. All right, Luke. Okay, there you go. (coughs) It will will only ever be a drug rug to me. I mean, where I come from, that's, that's indeed true. But, hey, it's Monday. We got great sponsors. We got a great crowd of people watching probably somewhere in their lives. And Luke, yo, you and I had a good weekend together. I'm fired up to be here. Let's, let's, hey, Tui, right? You know, you know let's, let's, let's bang. Okay. The let's right. bang award. Uh, by the way, I want to thank our good friends at Moneyline there. You saw the ad. We got a new sponsor on board, a pretty big one at that. So excited to have them on board. And of course, do we have the QR code we can flash on the screen? Folks can get involved, get get that money line app, and get their uh, their lives going. I don't know if we have it ready just yet, but want to remind. I think it's in the description box. There's a link in the description box if you want more information or to get money line process going in your life. So, thanks to them for coming on board. Uh, BC, as you mentioned, we were together on Saturday. We're going to be together on Wednesday as well. The the duties never stop, and we have a lot to get to today. UFC 280 is just I think a couple of weeks away at this point. On top of that, we had, let's see, we had Showtime Championship Boxing over the weekend. We had, how about Alistair Overeem getting a big win over the weekend? We'll talk about that. Plus a bunch of quick hitters, some Shavkat Rock Monov news we're going to talk about as well. So thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube. Please hit subscribe if you're new to the program. Happy to have you here where you can see, uh, you can follow us on all the various socials there, on all the channels. And by the way, BC, one thing I've been doing a little bit is trying to listen to the podcast on any, I use Stitcher. Folks, can you Spotify? Whatever their favorite podcast app might be. Trying to see how the show sounds when we listen. Not so great when the Damon Martin clip doesn't play and there's 30 seconds of uninterrupted silence. But <laughs> short of that, it actually sounds pretty good. I like the new microphones, by the way, that we're using in the studios in Jersey City. Isn't it weird that we're this far advanced into podcasting and digital, you know, award-winning digital shows that if you listen audio only to MK, you're now the old guy in the group? Kind of. Kind of. Although I have, you know, it's funny. I have run into people who listen to the show, and I've used that word "listen" 
I have met several MK fans who actually don't ever watch on YouTube. They only ever listen to the podcast. And I say, hey, whatever works for you. I just wanted to kind of hear how it sounds. Yeah, I, I like I'm, the way it sounds. I like I'm it. sure have you seen this shit is great in, uh, you know, audio only. Form. Yeah, that part's not so awesome. That part's not so awesome. But, the you know, the analysis comes across quite well. BC, now I got to ask you, you saw me earlier, but I don't know if the MK uh, listeners or viewers have seen it. I got a $50 haircut. And I got to say, it shows. Not my favorite haircut in the world, if I could just be totally honest with <laughs> well, you. Well, Luke, you know, like the dating scene available to you in high school, they went high and tight, Luke, okay? So that was uh, that was about it, yeah. When All they right. when they cut misshapen things into my head, I'm always like, fucking Brian Campbell. And by the way, <laughs> I didn't even save any money uh, this time because yeah. the haircut was much cheaper. But, dude, Uber is no longer being, like, funded in the way it was before. Like, before, if you had an Uber ride... You might be like, oh, it's like 10 bucks. It's so cheap. It's only 10 bucks because the venture capitalists were offsetting the cost to get everyone to use it. And now that everyone is using it, that money has dried up. So the cost, it was a $30 effing Uber ride downtown to get my hair cut. I didn't Dude, save a penny. I didn't you know save what a all of our penny. listeners are thinking right now. Luke, get it together. I mean, my $24 haircut gets me the back rub, the wash, the face claw. I mean, it gets a lot. There's a lot going on there, Luke, for 24 bucks. all right? I don't even go to Robert Kraft's place either, believe me. But, uh, Luke, you know, when you said uh, ex-Marine, no such thing, I think they thought you were, you know, still one, and they gave you that straight-on military cut. I mean, it doesn't look awful, but it's not Luke Thomas, not at age yeah, It doesn't look great. Right? I can tell you that. I know for 43. a fact it doesn't look great. So yeah. I want to thank you for bullying me into getting well, terrible haircuts. I don't care anymore if people don't like long intros because that's what we do. Uh, Luke, you got to give the people a review of Encanto on Ice that you took the Tookster uh, to yesterday. I mean, I'm waiting, you know, breathless. I got to say, so this is the second Disney on Ice event I have been to. I went uh, to one downtown here in D.C. to the Capital One Arena. I went to yesterday. I went to the Eagle Bank Arena which is on the capital, or excuse me, which is on the campus, I should say, of George Mason University, and it delivered. Uh, it was well attended, and lots of sneezing kids behind me. I'm sure I have contracted some kind of communicable disease that hasn't really reared its ugly head yet, but the uh, the Frozen stuff, I'd seen the Frozen act before, but they did Encanto on Ice on the second act, and it was a huge hit with the old wow. She the lost Tukes. her effing mind. Wow. Shout out to the Tukes. I'm sure that was fantastic. Great to hear, Luke. Good, some good wholesome shit. But uh, we now transition to a quick reminder about our merch, Luke. I mean, you see this hat right here, okay? I do you see the hat. So folks can get it. If you want to get it, of course, you can go to morningcombat.store. There's some merch you can have. You can have the hat. You can have the mug. You can have... No, that's a Grateful Dead drug rug. So that's not the official MK drug rug. But uh, you can get tons of good stuff there. I'm told, by the way, that the Morning Combat Hub, the one that kind of looks... Like the other hub thing yeah, that everyone knows. This is disturbing news to share with the public. Luke, go ahead. Go ahead. Right. The Morning Combat Hub one. I got to say, every time I wear that shirt, I didn't even think twice before when I wore it. And then I wore it like three or four times. And all every single time, someone was like, I see you, player. I like that shirt. And I was always like, Jesus Christ. All right. That's a little weird. Yeah. So and this now isn't. I'm, now I'm self-conscious about wearing it. This is an editorial about the, you know, the makeup of our audience, you know, not surprised mother effort for sure. But, you know, our merch maven, RJ uh, Crackerfuck, told us this morning that that uh, the MK, uh, the MK tube shirt is now our best selling item of all time. And, you know, that that's because of you fans. All right. I, I don't own that one. I won't own that one. You know, you can all watch your disturbing movies together. OK, and maybe you can. You see, I, don't know if, I don't know if you know this, but Crackerfuck is the official sport of West Virginia. 
That's a real thing. Oh, that's just unbelievable. I mean, are we talking inner family or outer family? I mean, that's that's not fair. Look, that's a beautiful state. It does not, you know, we always think of like family sleeping together and like pit snoggle. But West Virginia is beautiful, Luke. Okay? It is. West Virginia actually has a ton of charm to it. I, I, you know, can we joke here? Every Everyone likes to pretend that they're like the least sensitive person. Then you make joke about something close to them and all of a yes. sudden they turn into uh very negative Nancy's. Yeah. Just They're relax, like, M- everyone. It's a joke. MK went way too far talking about Japan that time. And, you know, well, you're probably right. But we we tend to we, we tend to throw the dart at ourselves and everyone else, Luke. That's how it works, okay? And then you know, last but want- not least, before, Jose, before we kick off, we want to remind folks, BC and I were together for the prelims on Saturday. Uh, it was, Obviously, it aired on Showtime's YouTube channel, the regular Showtime Championship Boxing airing on Showtime. By the way, if you want to get Showtime, you can go to Showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial, and then now on top of that, just $3.99 a month for the subsequent three months after that. So a pretty good deal. Now, you and I were on the YouTubes doing a stream for the uh, Fundora Ocampo prelims. Of course, Fundora's sister, Gabriella, competed on that and won. I got to say, the fights pretty much delivered yeah. All the way through from the prelims to the main card, that was a pretty night, pretty decent night of boxing. If I do say, look, so I loved our prelim card. I thought there was some fun matching on matchmaking on there, but that main card just delivered. And you know, obviously, Showtime always puts their best foot forward production wise and matchmaking wise, and it's up to the fights. The fights delivered. That was a fun night out there whoa, whoa. in Carson. Hey, we California. got a visitor. Hold on, we got a visitor because you know what, what this it's a live show. Come here, come here, come here, Tukes. Come say hi. What are we doing? You know, just can't even do this normally. All right. You want to say hey, hi Dookie. to all the people out there? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tell them your name. What's your name? My name is Violeta. Violeta. See. Sí. Okay. ¿Cuántos años tienes? ¿Cuántos años tienes? Yeah. No, tres. Yeah. There you go. And how are you doing? ¿Cómo sientes? Luke, can you ask her from Uncle Gringo uh, to tell me about the the uh, the... Encanto Ooh, yeah. show on ice. Please. Okay, Tuki. Since you interrupted my show, how was Encanto on ice? How was how was the the, uh, the show yesterday? I did it because the queen is like this way. It's Jasmine and Mulan. Yeah, and there was Jasmine and Mulan. All right, me and more. Daddy has to work because he has bills to pay. You know all that electricity you use? It's not for free. Okay. All right, te amo. All right. Beso, beso a papa. Beso. No, beso a papa. Okay, very good. All right. Oh, wow. Work, that okay? is that is wholesome, MK. That is some good stuff right there. Well, what are you going to do? It's live TV. She just opened the door and walked on in. Just comfortable Violetta. What are you going to oh, do? Oh, yeah. I mean, the future, right. Luke, she's going to be the stat guy for our show, like around the horn or PTI or something, you know, down the road. It's coming. And then eventually she'll replace me. But, Luke, your office, where that, all, where that love took place, is a great transition piece here because – can you tell the people what's happening tomorrow, Luke? It's a big day tomorrow. Tomorrow is a big day. Do we have we have video to throw to it, right? We have we a do. teaser trailer. Okay, we so do. tomorrow, I believe it'll be out, I think, at 11 a.m. If, if that's wrong, I'll double check here. But certainly tomorrow, youtube.com slash morning combat. It is the next and potentially final installment of the, or at least final installment for a while, I should say, of the MK documentary series. BC, what does this documentary cover what's the time period what events do we see in this one you may recall that our last doc documentary number six in the mk jake von amsterdam series ended in december of last year when we won best mma programming award from the world mma awards luke it picks up there and it it covers 
really the last nine months of our life, more or less, our highs and lows as a show and of men, to be fair. It's documentary number seven. I forgot the title of it, but it'll be live tomorrow. And here is a, just a I little. I think it's Homeward Bound. Homeward Bound. I, I wish I was, right? Home, where my pots are draining. Home, where the music's playing. Home, Some, you know, something like that. Thank you. All right, let's see. Simon and back, Backyard Funkel. Uh, let's go to the videotape here of a tease for doc number seven. This is where I have done um, a lot of really mediocre work. Yeah, this is my office. Molly, smile for the camera. Hi, babe. Hi. Come on down, we'll see the office where, where the MK happens. So let me just show you a few things and make of it what you will. I mean, come in and take a look around. As you can see, I, I have a lot of books. I got a bed for, you know, nights that I work late. These are some other MMA books that I have. I got a great gift from my wife and kids a couple years ago, the Molly the Dog Pillow. There's some books on geopolitics and globalization. Most important member of my family. Friedrich Nietzsche, The Gay Science, Aristotle's Ethics. Come here, come here, up, Molly. I've got more Aristotle readers. You know, what does it look like when life imitates art? And, uh, you know, this is, this is what it looks like, so, you know what I mean? It's great. Edward Said's Orientalism. She likes Squirrel pee, and she loves morning combat. <laughs> uh, Luke, we decided to share a little bit of ourselves for this seventh and potentially final do uh, documentary, Homeward Bound. Yeah, we visit my uh, factory town. We went to our offices, as you see. Uh, so much material in this doc that sort of ends with our trip to Vegas this summer. So uh, check it out. You will not be disappointed. Uh, you may never see it again, Luke, but this one's like 40 minutes long. This is the final, you know, the full, this is, this is the full, you know, the, the wave, the, the Peter North, this is everything we've got. Okay. Thank you. And by the way, the guy who shot and edited most of this shoots and edits some of the more preeminent showtime stuff you see around fight week, for example. So this dude knows what he's doing. It came across pretty well. Um, if you're going to check out a documentary, this is, this is the one to make some time for. So. So there you have it. All right, BC, with that in mind, let's get the show started if you're ready. I certainly am myself. What an intro, yeah. though. What a great, I mean. What an intro. Tukes was what? here. We got yeah. to see the doc. Got a new sponsor. I mean, what else could you do here? All right, with that in mind, let's look ahead a little bit. We're just a couple of weeks away at this point from UFC 280. And BC, I got to say, everyone's getting real chippy. Have you noticed that? All of the different, <laughs> not so much between Sean Brady and Bilal Muhammad, but all in the other directions, there's just a lot of everyone real angry, real ready to get things going. I think going. the fan base, look, it's weird. The fan base is getting chippy. If we mention either, and now look, this this card's loaded in Dubai, but if we mention either Mahachev or Charlie Olives at any point in the show, instantly I get hardcore DMs from both fan bases saying, oh, all you do is favor those guys. Oh, all you do is rip on those guys. I think there, there's a fever pitch coming, not only for this card, but this lightweight title main event. I think that's a great point to make. First of all, there's just a ton of curiosity around what Makachev versus Oliveira is going to look like as a fight. And as you can well imagine, there's probably some overlap to those fan bases, but they're probably pretty distinct in a lot of ways as well. And so there's just this natural clash. Plus... Makachev being like this heir to Habib who hasn't quite ascended. Will he? Oliveira, who should be the champ but isn't. Will he reclaim it? And if so, what will it look like? It feels like the next chapter of the life of lightweight will turn once this champion is crowned and there's sort of a new 
it's not like a new era of champion will be reigned because they could lose the fight, lose their belt in the subsequent fight. But I just feel like the division is ready for some larger turnover one way or the other. And this will seem seems to be like a great uh, bookend to what the next chapter might be. Now, with that in mind, BC, I, I do want to start with Aljamain Sterling saying something I thought was... I got to tell you, everyone thinks their opponent is not going to show up for this fight. It's the <laughs> weirdest thing I've ever seen. So let me just put this out here. Al Jermaine Sterling was asked, like, what happens if TJ Dillashaw doesn't make it to the fight because he tests positive? I think he was asked, by the way, on Submission Radio. And here was his answer, and I find it confusing. Quote, this is Al Jermaine Sterling talking about what happens if, if Dillashaw tests positive for some kind of performance-enhancing drug. Quote, if he pops again... It is what it is. I'm already prepared, and as I have said, I got backup plans and contingencies for other opponents. So you know, it is what it is. I train with the best guys in the world. I bring it. Look at this guy over here. This guy's a freaking savage. He's talking, of course, about Marab Dewalishwili. Now, BC, one, I get that TJ Dillashaw has a sordid past related to this issue, and so that will invite skepticism about his continuing participation in the sport. But just speaking from a matter of what is probable, I find it highly unlikely he will test positive again, although one never knows. Uh, the other part, though, is what would those contingency plans be? Uh, what who, who I think could replace TJ in case of emergency is what you're asking? Well, sort of, but here's what he, the way, it was the way he worded it. He didn't say the UFC has backup plans. He said he has backup plans. Oh, you wonder, is he teasing a potential lawsuit luke no but this is what i'm wondering you've got sean o'malley and peter yan on the card peter yan they're gonna fight each other would the ufc pull one of them up if for some reason dillashaw is out and again i have no reason to suspect dillashaw might be out but let's let's just let's let's entertain aljamain sterling's contingency plan here a would they bring one of them up or b this is sort of my point he's saying he has contingency plans if for some reason that falls through, is he saying I'm going to be off the card no matter what? That's an it's an interesting sort of cryptic loaded thing he said right there. I'm not sure the direction he's leaning, but you did bring up an important point that if this should happen, and look, uh, you know, we didn't think Hamzat versus Nate just recently was going to fall apart. Ish happens in the combat sports game. Would it be Piotr Jan? Would we be looking at an Aljo Jan trilogy? We're not talking about contingency plans for the fighter. What do you, Luke, believe is the contingency plan for the promotion? Because I don't know if I've heard that. Who's weighing in as the backup? Have that Has that been announced for this fight? So we'll get to that with the lightweight bout in just a minute. So we do have a bit of an answer there on that one. On this one, there are other bantamweights on the card. As I mentioned, Sean O'Malley's on the card. But, you know, he's fighting Jan, which was is by far the toughest and most highly ranked opponent he's ever faced. Jan, on the other hand, is coming off of a loss, obviously, so he doesn't have a win to his name, having just lost to Sterling. Now, he does have the win over Corey Sandhagen prior to that, so you could do that. There are no other bantamweight fights on the card. It's just those two. So I know Marab is there with uh, Sterling. Would Sterling really fight Marab if no. DJ fall? I just don't buy that. Not on last minute. Look, if they to. ever break that that friendship teammate thing they've got going where DeVos Wheelie essentially credits Aljo for like helping him assimilate to the States and learn the game and all that. But look, at some point, if they're the top two in the division two years from now, you're going to fight. You're not doing that on, you know, one week notice though, Luke. No, hell no. Here, you're here's gonna get the thing that kind of gets me a little bit. If I was UFC 
and maybe this is not possible, of course, like one never knows. And, you know, you're talking about asking a very established, one of the best fighters ever to do this. But in a perfect world, would Jose Aldo have not been the best substitute? In either sense, you get Sterling versus Aldo or Aldo versus Dillashaw, right? So you have a new matchup in either case. And in either case, both of those seem to be very competitive fights. Now, you wouldn't want to put the guy in a title fight having come off of a loss himself, right? Just recently losing to Marab. But, like, as a substitute... What's a better substitute than that? Because honestly, going to Yon doesn't work, and neither O'Malley. So who are you saying would fight? Who are you saying, Jose Aldo? No, I'm saying wouldn't it have made sense for the UFC to have done that? Try tried to find a way to get Aldo as part of this and then walk off into the sunset. Granted, I understand making weight for a potential contest you may never fight in might not be something Aldo's interested in. I, I fully no, recognize that. No, and he that. lost, dude. You can't, first of all, he already has one of the more controversial title gets in the fact that he lost to Marlon Marais, and I think even though it was close, it was a fair loss, and then he got a title shot on name alone. You're not going to give him a second one. No, that scenario is ridiculous, Luke. Let's okay, not but here, Okay, but Sterling's your champ. Let me just read to you the rankings about which direction else you can go. Jan is sitting there at number one, Dillashaw at two, Marab is at three. Marab is there, and he is sitting at three. Sandhagen and then Vera, respectively, in four or five. You tell me who's a better name. Well, look, I think Sandhagen, if I'm him, just in case I'm staying close to weight and I make sure my passport is updated. But beyond that, that's why you have Jan and O'Malley, which is such a badass fight with so much future. You know, if O'Malley wins, dude, he could be fighting for the next title shot. There's no question about it. Star power alone. Dude, that's a great conundrum to be in should Dillashaw fall out. Or let's say Aljo missed weight. You can bump up either of those guys. They're already in a great spot. Nobody else needs to be sitting around as a replacement, Luke. Okay, Dude, you would really bump up Sean O'Malley to a title fight? No, I think if it was Aljo who needed the opponent, Jan would get it because they have history and it would be a trilogy and it just makes more sense. I don't think you could allow O'Malley to cut the line. But let me ask you this, Luke. Let's say Aljo missed weight and was bumped from the card, could you then do Sean O'Malley versus TJ in the main event as, like, a number one contender fight? Co-main. Yeah, sorry, Co-main. As, like, a suddenly number one contender fight for the interim title or some BS? You could, Luke. That'd be pretty badass, too. Would Dillashaw want that? You know? Does Dillashaw, who's in a title fight, now want to fight Sean O'Malley to hold position? I guess if they gave him a bunch of money as like a discretionary bonus and the interim title, Tyson. Yeah, you got to have the interim title and, and a lot of title. money. It's okay. Yeah, know? that could be interesting. Wow, could you imagine Sean O'Malley as a potential interim UFC bantamweight champion with a strange turn of events? It seems but, unlikely, but but if he beat TJ, dude, you you you, it's not like you could you know pick pick it outside and make signs, Luke. You know, if he beat TJ. He gets, he's there. He's a star, dude. He's there, all right? Here's a crazy scenario that, again, all of this is a little bit pie-in-the-sky talk, but the point I would want to make is imagine if that happens, right? So for some reason, Aljo gets sick, and they have to, he can't defend his title. They don't strip him, but, you know, whatever happens, they now elect to have an interim title fight so that there's another title fight on the card and that it is Sean O'Malley, and he fights TJ Dillashaw. But now let me throw this little wrench at you, which is what if it looks like the Cejudo Dillashaw fight where it's over, you know, approximately less than a minute, 30 seconds, whatever it ends up being. Something where it's like first shot that lands kind of KOs him or second shot that lands kind of KOs him. How, how what, what would that impact be? If O'Malley won by early KO on like the first shot he landed, he'd, he'd yes. get he'd get the title shot next. He'd probably be the interim champion if this scenario played out. And again, but there would be so much pervasive doubt about it. 
Of course, but that would only add to the intrigue of, look, eventually, because of his star power, sooner than later, he's going to fight for a title. And obviously, if he wins his scheduled fight this Saturday, he's probably next. So you're not going to hold him back anyway, so there's always going to be some doubters saying, oh, he's been fighting the Chris Moutinho's lately and not trying as hard. Okay, well, Luke, what are you going to do? If he, if, if, if some last-minute scenario, which isn't even in play, I don't know why we're playing it out this hard, but if it happened that way, you'd still have that polarizing mix of people who don't think he deserved it, so I want to see him crumble, and other people going, look, we got to find out right now. He just knocked out TJ Tillishaw, for God's sakes. I mean, that, that, you know, that's, that's a star-making win right there under any circumstance or scenario. You know, it certainly would be. I, I'm merely having fun with some of the headlines that are coming out about this. I just want to be totally. Well, clear. I mean, oh, this I'm... is my you're you're this is my kind of show right now, Luke. Okay, I just want to make sure the people are on board with us. Yes, that's quite fair. Um, all right, so that leads us to some of the other weird headlines coming out about this fight. And again, everyone is just wildly chippy about this. Have you seen some of the back and forth about Makachev and Chandler? Are you aware of any of this? I am not. Can you set the stage for me, please? So both have been asked to make a series of comments about the other one because that's just what media is today. No one does like any investigative reporting. They just rehash what everyone else is saying. And so Chandler was asked about Makachev's resume, right? And he said, quote, he hasn't really fought anybody. <laughs> that's really the truth. Boy, people take shots at Makachev. It's unbelievable. So Makachev responded back on social media saying, quote, ha ha. Your only two wins in the UFC are Hooker, who came off of a loss, and Tony, who has five losses in a row now. Please shut up and stay in line. First of all, interested in the Makachev-Chandler fight. Just want to be very clear about that. And that's, and and way, that's you, brilliant. That's a brilliant marketing play for Ch from Chandler, who's coming off a win no matter who it's against. And, Luke, he's a company man who gets opportunities because he's ready, willing, and able, whether you agree with him or not. Okay, but let's answer this question. What is a fair criticism of Islam's resume? What does a fair criticism of it look like? In my opinion, the only fair criticism is that there's not an overwhelming amount of elite names. He had to take the back road uh, and, and collect a long number of victories and build this, you know, Tony Ferguson-like, you know, Max Holloway-like in the standpoint of how many, how many more wins is he going to need before he finally gets the title shot? Well, it's right now, okay? We can, enough of that conversation. I do feel like... UFC was stiff-arming Islam for a bit, maybe more for marketing purposes of trying to make the other bigger fights first and knowing, or maybe, you know, there's some backdoor conspiratorialness to the idea of maybe if we get Habib mad enough about his guy not getting the title shot, he'll come back and fight for us. Probably not as likely. But the whole point here, Luke, is would you have rather had him fought all the big names in this division so we know everything for sure? Of course. He hadn't had that opportunity. He didn't get there yet. He fought who he fought. He beat those guys. Boy, is he ready right now. And I think he's always... Like O'Malley, who people are automatically going to look at him and go, oh, he's just a flashy haircut. I think a lot of people are going to look at Islam and because he's dubbed as Habib's boy, but we haven't seen him actually fully prove it yet. He's not He's not going to win those people over until he wins the championship. Let's be fair, because he's, they just look at him now as Habib Jr., who's just, you know. But the reality is the guy can freaking fight. Watch that win streak. You want to credit? You want to, you know, you want to go after the lack of elite wins? Well, give him a chance to fight these elite guys. We're gonna find out what happens, Luke. Okay? So yeah. So, so he had a win before the Martins loss. Then he had this. And he had the Martins loss in his second UFC fight. So since then, he's undefeated, and he has wins over Chris Wade, who's a good fighter, but in the PFL now. Nick Lentz, who's retired, I think. Gleason Tebow, who's in the PFL. Cajun Johnson, who I'm not sure is competing anymore, but then it turns up uh, to a significant degree. Then he beat Armin Saryukin. Now, that was Saryukin's UFC debut, but still, that was a tough fight, and he won it. It's a badass win. Say, 
It's a badass yeah, win. That's, that's a solid win. And him, by the way, like like I say, it's a tough fight, but like because it's a tough opponent. But Makachev looked really good in that one. Then he beat Davi Hamosh, who was a very good submission grappler. Drew Dober, he submitted via arm triangle in the third round. Tiago Morses, who he submitted via rear naked choke in the fourth round. He just blew past Dan Hooker. By the way, he fought Dan Hooker two fights ago. I just want to be clear about that. But he submitted him inside the first round. And then Bobby Green, who he uh, polished off inside the first round. But that was, of course, a last-minute change. And that was a catch weight of 160 pounds. He has looked good. But I think your analysis about his resume is, is on the spot. Since the loss to Martins, obviously he's looked great. And since the fight from Saryuki and up, he's looked really, really good. But he doesn't have any wins over super elite competition to this point. Oliveira is by far his toughest opponent to date. So there is something to be said for that. Although I have to say, if you end up getting a fight where Chandler beats Poirier in New York City, right? And Makachev wins at 280. That is very likely to be your next fight, is it not? That's going to be his yeah. first title defense. And that's why it's brilliant work by Chandler, who I think, you know, if you want to do the full criticism of him being a company guy, and he's, I mean, he is so over the top in doing that. Why do people be company men, Luke? Because you get huge opportunities, but you also have to be a badass who's willing to fight anybody at any time, no matter what the situation. He is, that's the perfect first title defense if you are looking to really try to make Islam's name. And I think the fact that he can be so dominant, even though he's not exactly Habib, and he, in some ways he's more exciting in some ways than Habib, you know, he can dominate you in ways that aren't fully exciting. You give him a guy like Chandler, he has a chance to do some exciting shit, or or maybe not, or maybe they make a crazy-ass fight and you don't know who comes out of there. But even uh, that that would seem like the next one, Luke. And, and look, these all of these guys that are now considered the, the last generation at lightweight, meaning... We had arguably the deepest division in the sports history when Habib was on top and we had all those celebrity names. Now, when you're talking Connor Ferguson, damn, when you're talking all the Gaethje, they're all getting old, okay? They're all getting old. Poirier, they're one big win or two wins away, each of them, from being potential title opportunities as well. So this division's in such a great spot because that second generation that's coming in is so strong right now, and there's a few of them. But whoever comes out of Oliveira in, in Mahachev, we're going to have some fun fights to make. And I think if it is Mahachev, if you don't think he's beaten enough guys, he's going to have to. If he wins that title, he's going to have to prove it in a meat grinder of, of names of old and new. And uh, we don't have the footage. As much as we don't have the proof yet that he is that dude, we don't have a proof yet that he's not either, Luke. I mean, and that's like, let's pause for a second here. How fucking great. Is on paper is Charles Oliveira versus Islam Mahachev. Separate from the card, the venue, the stakes, whatever. Style versus style. This is such a great fight to get. Like if I could pick one fight that's going to give me the Islam Mahachev answers, this is about as, as great as it gets, right? Entertainment wise, this is going to be something fun. Comes two Saturdays from now. I'm, I mean, I mean Luke, I I don't think you need Jake Hager in here right now to tell you what's going on below the camera. Yeah, you probably have a pathetic boner. But, I mean, you've been having that since fifth grade, so that's, no, that's not new when you found out Santa wasn't really real. Um, but what I, <laughs> That's funny because it's true. Wow, that was a deep cut right there. Just, just woo, yeah. But what I wanted to say was, if, I, if just based on where I see most talk is and the most questions I get from MMA fans, the two fights they are by far excited about the most, and this is not really a surprise in a lot of ways, but... Just the, the disparity between these two fights and everything else is huge. It's this one. It's Islam taking on Oliveira. And then the other one would be Izzy and, and uh, Pereira. Those are the two fights that MMA fans, clearly on the rest of the 2022 calendar, care about the most by far. And to your point, 
what is there to dislike about it? You have two elite lightweights. We'll find out who's the most elite about them, or between them, I should say. Uh, it's a very difficult fight to figure out because both guys are very well-rounded and very experienced. It's for a title, maybe one of the more prestigious titles in the UFC, given it's in the lightweight division. And you've got guys basically in their primes. Like, what on earth could there be to not like? It's got everything you could possibly want. Stakes, action, rival fan bases, the works. This is this is the one to watch, to be clear. Now, yeah. It, okay. Go ahead. Don't, are you go spinning ahead. off of this topic? Because I got one more thing to ask you. One more. I do have another thing on this one, but go ahead. Look, I think Habib came became somewhat of a surprisingly accidental pay-per-view star. And obviously, when you have the unbeaten streak, you've got his mindset, his one-liners, you know, semi-location, all that stuff. Number one bullshit. And on top of that, he was involved in, you know, the most hellacious pay-per-view build of all time, the Conor McGregor one. And it turned out that that set the record for buys. I mean, he would, and also he touches different parts of the world and certainly the, the Muslim fan base. I mean, there, there's a lot that had be brought in the end. It didn't look like he was going to be that star in the beginning. Considering that Islam has the Habib rub, I mean, he's in his corner. He's with him constantly. If Islam wins the title and if his first, you know, three or four title defenses, if he stays the champion, come against Chandler or recycle Gaethje, heck, or recycle anyone, you know, there's big names still here. Is he going to be a star on that Habib level by association when you mix that with what he's doing inside the cage? I have my doubts that he can match what Habib did because I do think Habib had a more aggressive style between them. And I think that was part of his appeal was just there was a certain kind of, not frenetic pace, but this, I don't know how to describe it exactly. It's a little bit more than quicksand too. But, you know, he would, he was, he had a, his, his style was to me a little bit more forward towards the finish than a guy like Islam who waits a little bit, waits a little bit, waits a little bit. Also, you know, just through broken English, a guy like Islam, excuse me, a guy like Habib could kind of talk some shit. He had funny things to say. He was the one that introduced us to the idea of smesh that kind of came about afterwards. Islam doesn't have some of those features that Habib did, but he's got a lot of the other bigger ones that count. And so is he ready to be a potential habib clone in that way like he can match all of the same heights that habib reached i doubt that but can he be a pretty big star for the ufc definitely now you got to go through charles Oliveira and potentially a series of other very big and important names but he's got he could do some things in the sport from a sales and pay-per-view purchasing standpoint yeah i'll tell you the truth the missing link is actually for for him to reach a B level, it's Conor McGregor, and for all this, I know Conor McGregor's shooting a movie. We have no idea when or if what he's going to look like when he gets back. Every day that we wait, you have more doubts. I know Conor's always talking about welterweight in all of his tweets, but Luke, isn't that the, the if you're looking if you're in that pay per view war room with UFC and the financial guys there, and they're talking about you know what's our next power move? Isn't that shouldn't that be shouldn't they be doing everything in their power to keep him happy and as close to 170, meaning McGregor as possible? Because that's the rub to really make Islam the star that he might be. But first of all, yeah, you got to be Charles Oliveira. You got to be right. probably Chandler after that. You know what I'm saying? Long term though, that's that that's pro wrestling matchmaking. You know. 1.0 right there. That, that's that's the entry level how to do it. I, I don't know why they wouldn't, Luke. I'll just say this. Whoever ends up being the champion at 155 after UFC 280, I really, really hope that they can keep that guy active. That's the only thing I really care about is yeah. may the best man win, whoever that ends up being, and then let's have that title in rotation in terms of defenses. That's really what I want to see. Now, we stay with this particular fight, and we stay with the weirdness, BC, which is here's another thing. Now, Charles Oliveira 
told the media some time ago this year that he planned to be in Abu Dhabi two weeks before the fight. And you saw even before that, Habib getting on social media saying, I don't know if Charles is going to show up like out of nowhere. And then Islam took to Twitter and then, by the way, we're doing the same thing that MMA sites are doing. So here I am criticizing them, but we're no better. Yeah, it's, fi it's filling our show on a slow Monday. Believe that. It okay? certainly is. But the point being is he then takes that tweet and or takes a clip of that news story saying that Charles was going to be there two weeks before and says, two weeks before the fight, Charles and his team are not in Abu Dhabi yet. Should I start to worry? At which point then on Instagram, Charles Dobronx, who's got like seven watches on, he's got more jewelry than Mr. T, says, don't worry, dad is coming. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Why are Habib and Islam putting out this narrative to the world that Charles just may not show up? I, I got to tell you, of all the confusing things I've seen, this <coughs> is perhaps the more bizarre one. I, I don't think it's that bizarre. Okay, so number one, really? it's 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 a long-term mental game, number one. But but what you're asking really is what the root of it is. I've kind of shared this before, and I don't think anyone cares about my opinion, but I think I'm right about this. Here's the deal. When Habib was champ and beating everybody he had the chance to fight, he never got a chance to fight Charles Oliveira. I think to him and a lot of people from his era, when they look at Charles Oliveira, they see the guy from one division below who would constantly miss weight, who, you know, could win spectacularly, but could also lose spectacularly. And I think they see him as a quitter, Luke. And I think that's, to them, it's like, they're not going to recognize that he's all grown up and he's done these things. Add that to the idea also that even though Habib is retired, what made him so great? His competitiveness, right? He's still a competitor. And I don't think he likes that after he retired abruptly with this unbeaten record and no, he didn't get as many elite wins as we would have preferred to like, you know, put him right up there with the GSP, John Jones, whatever. I mean, but you know, you can also argue that he is because of what he did accomplish. I think he looks at what Oliveira has done in a very short time since becoming champion and all these big names he's adding. And I think he's just like, wait, people really going to, you know, I never lost and people are really going to now put anoint this guy as one of the greatest lightweights ever and all this stuff. And I think it's just a competitor in him going, no, no, fuck you, bro. And I can't fight you right now because I promised mother and father, but my boy can. And we're going to get in your head at every turn. And Luke, if you still, you know, we, you know what Habib's not doing right now in retirement? He's not mm. getting fat and re refereeing WWE pay-per-view fights, okay? He's still in that mode, Luke. He's still there mentally, okay, as a coach, and he's going to try to take down Oliveira. And I think you think I'm crazy, but I also think you think I'm onto something when you really, when you really let that sink in, all right? I, I tend to think that your more conspiratorial mind is useful in situations like this because from my vantage point, it makes zero sense whatsoever, but clearly there's got to be some kind of purpose, and your ability to kind of ferret out what the conspiracy angle actually aids the conversation here. I still find it to be weird. Now, BC, here's the only, not quite catch, but you asked about, like, we were talking, like, who would be the fill-in in the event that something happened for Aljo versus TJ, which, by the way, independent of Aljo's concerns about TJ potentially popping again, crazy shit happens. One of them could get food poisoning, COVID, some bullshit. One never knows. In this particular case, Volkanovsky, the featherweight champion, has said he's going to be in Abu Dhabi. And I suspect... Ooh. He's going to do that to be the backup in the event that there needs to be one. BC, I have to tell you, I'm not a big fan of him going up to 155 and getting a title shot right away. I, I you know, I'd want to see him fight another top contender first, but I got to say, as a fill-in replacement, highly intriguing. Highly Dude. intriguing. Would you agree? Yeah, this is like. 
while you can paint this if you want as opportunistic or whatever, it's also daring to be fucking great. I mean, this is the willingness that Volkanovsky's saying. Like, you know, I want I want you guys to know that I'm the pound for pound best right now. And I may not always get the love I deserve, but I'm also one of the greatest fighters of all time. And to prove that, I'm willing to do this shit. I'm the champion in another weight class. Yet I'm willing to, like, do the Michael Chandler stuff, to be fair. Although, you know, it doesn't seem like Volkanovsky's as flashy as, like, look at me while I'm doing it. But it also still works. And with his resume and what he's accomplished, should he be the guy they would potentially lean to in an emergency, that would make a hell of a turnaround in terms of storyline and excitement you know, in that 24 to 48 hour window, if something bad did happen, yeah, I would sign off on that, Luke, and I would be, you know, you can't lose, because that's the thing, Volkanovsky would deserve the credit for making a badass power move, and if he loses, I mean, I know it's a loss, Luke, but you're not going to hold it against him, you're certainly not going to hold it against him, that's the thing. Okay, so let me ask you, who would you rather Volkanovsky fight, and obviously he'll replace just whoever falls out if that ends up happening, but in a perfect world, what's a better fight? Oliveira versus Volkanovski or Makachev versus Volkanovski? Wow. Dude, they're, they're, that, that is... They're both they, fucking awesome, by the it's way. Like, <laughs> it's like, you know, what, MK viewer, you hear us all the time. You can smell our thoughts and feelings. Are you more, L, you know, are you more BBL? Or are you more, you know, Europe, European plow experience factory town? You know what I mean? Like, where, like, you know, where are we going here in your preference? Either side works, Luke, okay? That's the thing, you know? It's either I'm gonna side. Say, I'm going to say Volkanovsky versus Oliveira is a little bit more interesting to me. Can I tell you why? Okay, maybe, are you going to say for fi- for fireworks? Yes, but don't, I thought you're, see, you're the X's and O's nerd bomber here, Luke. You know what I mean? You should be saying Mahachev, what that will look like with Volkanovsky. You know, like, I think I think you missed this, Luke. Okay, don't. Miss I think it. in either in either direction you could make an argument. So, for example, the striking would be more interesting between Oliveira and Volkanovsky. And either way, if it stays standing, I suspect Volkanovsky would be quicker. And by the way, you know, don't forget Oliveira has vision problems and gets hit a lot. I could imagine that being interesting. By the way, you know, who knows what he'd be willing to do? But if you're willing to go into Brian Ortega's guard, would you be willing to go into a hurt Oliveira's guard? Maybe. You might be You might be willing to do that. That'd be kind of interesting. Um, on the other side, Volkanovski's been dropped a number of times. You could imagine Oliveira doing that and then finding his way to the back pretty quickly. That could be kind of cool. On the other side, the Makachev one is if – let's assume – everyone just assumes I think Makachev would get the takedown. But I would say that a guy like Volkanovski would make that very, very difficult, certainly doable. And if he did get it, what would a guy like – a guy like Volkanovski do either on his back or from turtle being controlled with wrist captures. That's kind of fun. On the other side, what if a guy like Volkanovski pieces up Makachev on the feet and he can't get the takedown, which is also, by the way, quite quite conceivable. In, there's, there's like no scenario in either yeah. of those two fights with any of those guys winning where the fight is not revealing and good. You also know there's a scenario in there in which this is just a bridge too far physically, given that he's already yep. small and height for that weight, the weight class that he's the champion. He might just get gobbled up in the wrestling, and we have a decision win at the end of the day. Um, Luke, you know the, the you should have shot down my uh my my Habib theory better just by saying it was probably Ali who tweeted those, right? Oh, you know, I didn't even think about that, but yeah, but you know, still there's. There's, there's just fighters have like a, and everyone's different, but there's they have weird sort of superstitions, and sometimes they come to life. And when McGregor was making these predictions, everyone got this; they were just drinking it in at all times. But it just sort of goes to show that the vast majority of these pre-fight premonitions are just nonsense. You know what I mean? The vast majority are just like, yeah, it doesn't really work that way. Although 
We're just coming off UFC 279 where absolutely insane shit happened. And, you know, here I am saying it's a bunch of nonsense. Maybe it's, it's not. Still, I can't wait two weeks away. What an event that's going to be. Now, it takes us to point number two, BC. Let's talk about that here. Alistair Overeem, the demolition man, the Reem, Uberim, whatever you'd like to call him, he has to kind of rally a little bit with some of the open scoring that they used in glory to defeat his rival, Batter Hari, dropping him twice in the third round and then ultimately getting the decision victory as a consequence at Glory Collision 4. BC, what did Overeem prove with this victory? He proved that, you know, crazily enough, there is more <laughs> there is more for him to do if he wants it, Luke. I mean, look, he's 42 years old. He's done everything but win a UFC title. And, oh, by the way, he came close twice in the same fight against Stipe. I mean, Luke, Alistair felt it. Just always remember that. But, Luke, you know, it seemed like when he left the UFC that, okay, maybe there's one big money fight. I don't know. There may be more if he wants to do it in, in some type of boxing crossover, of course, which is a lot of people are chasing. But look at what he did at this level. Now, okay. He had already beaten Badr by knockout, even though they traded them. But I didn't realize coming in that the 37-year-old Badr the legend, was like 0-5 with two no contests in the last seven years, Luke, okay? So the buildup to this had been about that, about, you know, wounded animal. But that wounded animal, didn't he almost knock Overeem out in the first round? I mean, he dropped him hard with, with a left hand. I think, you know, Overeem wins this rivalry, yes. Overeem, Overeem, Overeem didn't t touch the canvas here. Didn't he get rocked in the first round, Luke? He did get raw. He got he he definitely got hurt with some big punches. Yes, okay. but he never he never got knocked down. I'll take that part back. Uh, I'll just say, Luke, that you know, I'm sure the drug testing is different in those parts, but still, dude, there, he's still got something there. Whether he want you know, and look, you'll see it. And have you seen this shit? Rico Verhoeven, the the heavyweight champion in glory forever, you know, want, wants wants to go next on this level. Um, Luke, he he can play. He can still play there. He's in a crazy. I mean, what a career. What a lot. That's a lot of mileage, though. But what a freaking career. He's still in the game if he wants it. Do you agree with that, at least? I, I have to tell you, I think Alistair Overeem is one of the most underappreciated combat sports athletes of our generation. And what I mean by that is certainly he has gotten a lot of his flowers. We talked to Deontay Wilder using that description, others as well, while he was still alive, right? He got the statue made for Deontay did the statue made for him in Alabama. And it was like a big thing for him that partly he credits to returning after the third um, Tyson Fury fight. But what I mean to say is you brought up something I thought was kind of interesting. We've had previous conversations like who's the best fighter to never fight in the UFC. And you can go Fedor, you can go Patricio Pitbull, you can go to a few different directions. But here's a guy who did fight in the UFC and didn't win a title. So now if I had to ask you, who's one of the better, certainly MMA fighters, but then beyond that, combat sports athletes who never won a UFC title, who did fight in UFC. Man, you might have to put over him at the top of that list. We talked about it before. Dream champion, K1 champion, and Strikeforce champions simultaneously taking a lot of time off from kickboxing, coming back, and then not just beating Better Hari, but kind of having to rally. Better Hari looked pretty good through two rounds. He was he was he was very selective about his strikes. He wasn't overcommitting. He was you saw over him trying to switch stance his way into distance closing, and then Better Hari kind of combating most of it or check hooking him on the way in or kicking his legs out uh, with with an inside cut kick. He was doing a lot of stuff to off balance him cover up when he needed to, and being, frankly, for Batter Hari, for the first two rounds, it, it, both guys were trying a strategy, but he was being, I thought, the more patient, honestly, of the two, and it was Overeem who was taking a bunch of risks, but then Overeem, he made an interesting point to Todd Grisham in the post-fight interview saying, you know, you hurt him a little bit, they slow down just a little bit, and that's all that I need. That is exactly what happened. A few of the shots got through, Batter wasn't quite on his game as he was in the first two, 
And then, dude, fucking Overeem went to work on him, taking angles, driving knees up the middle, and then an uppercut that was just deadly from close that range. That was old school. That was old school. Dude, Overeem right doesn't get the credit for being basically, yes, they're related, but he's basically a two-sport athlete. He has achieved very highly in both of them, and maybe he didn't get the most coveted title on the MMA side, but I just want to remind folks, this is the one thing about Overeem that never gets appreciated. Overeem has Michael Bisping mentality. And what I mean by that is if you look at the career of Michael Bisping, dude, he had some bad knockouts along the way. Everyone talks about the Dan Henderson one. That was one. But or more than just that, he had some bad losses, some real career setbacks. The first Luke Rockhold fight would be another one. But it never seemed to deter him. His mind was bulletproof. And he was always able to just try again and try again and keep knocking on the door and keep knocking on the door. And sure enough, it fucking opened eventually. Alistair Overeem, I, dude, I remember watching Overeem in the aughts get viciously KO'd. You can go back to, for example, the Chuck Liddell fight in Pride. I remember there's a video of Overeem after that fight sitting on like a bus from the arena going to the hospital. And he's got both of his nose plugged and he just looks miserable sitting in that van before he's medically attended to. And he had many losses after that. The Travis Brown fight, fucking the, the Bigfoot fight. And you can go on and on and Dude, on. Dude, Francis Ngannou, just say it. He was Francis involved Ngannou. in the nastiest knockout, I think, in the history of the sport. That that Francis Ngannou uppercut from, I mean, from beyond hell, Luke. Be, down and, the and, road and I just wanna, Let me just connect the dots. It's a great point. Like that loss, and there's many other ones too. And we're, of course, we're ignoring a bunch of wins that he had. But I'm just focusing on those losses. Look at the way he fought Batter Hari here. He was the one closing the distance. He was the one bringing the action to him. He was the one who I would argue was taking more risk. After all of those setbacks, he is still out there fighting with that kind of verve and command. Dude, you just are not going to see many guys like that ever give I mean, the ring won. his flowers. Dude, first of all, you, he could have... You know, he could have been killed by that knockout punch to over him. Or, sorry, not over him, to uh, Vinganu, which was just so insane. And then he won, like, six more UFC fights after that. Like, he went on another run. It just, you're right, none of it has mattered, which is scary long-term, but he went in there and he was fresher and seemed like he had more to fight for. And that's the question, Luke. Does he have more to fight for? Or would you get fired the hell up for him fighting for the Glory Heavyweight Championship? I mean, he's already won... You know, he's already been to the top in kickboxing in the past. So your two-sport, you know, athlete uh, credit question does make a lot of sense. Could he come out here and win the Glory Heavyweight Championship at 42? Could he beat Rico? I certainly have my doubts, to be honest with you. I think Rico is fucking great. Um, one never knows. They brought him in the ring. It looks like that's the fight that they want to make in Glory. I don't know when that would happen, but um, it would be... I'll tell you this much. If he does end up beating Rico... <laughs> <laughs> Man, that is that would be, I mean, truly insane. And it was kind of interesting. We're 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 just a few weeks away now from Anderson Silva fighting Jake Paul, and there's been a question about Anderson Silva getting his flowers post UFC by not even fighting in MMA. It was kind of funny uh, for folks who may have missed the broadcast. Overeem got booed. It was in the Netherlands, but it was a batter hari crowd times a billion. Now, in fairness, Rico also got booed, so it wasn't just Alistair Overeem. But still, BC, beyond just the local crowd there in the Netherlands, and, and Overeem has said he wants to go back to at least one more fight in MMA. I guess we'll see if that ends up being Fedor and Bellator. Maybe, they, maybe they'll make a run for his services. Certainly, they used to Dude, work together. Dude, that'd be Force. fun. Come on. That'd be fun as shit. That, it's, I got to yeah. say, is that, like, what's a better ending for Overeem? Beating Rico or beating Fedor? Like, for, to, really, be to really celebrate yeah. Overeem. 
Uh, I think beating Fedor. And, and yes, it's, it, yes, Fedor is long past it. But look, the knockout of Timothy Johnson shows that he's always going to be Fedor. He's always going to be freaking Fedor. There's still some royalty in that fight, as crazy as it sounds. There still is. I mean, that's not the UFC title for a guy in Overeem who's won everything but that. But that's that's pretty. I mean, that's pretty big, Luke. That'd be that'd be a. I think a lot of people, you know, in that fight week would get into that fight. I think it could be a big deal for if Bellator wanted to pull that off and. It's crazy. It's funny you bring up Fedor because that's where Overeem is in that in that we always have that list, that countdown. Bisping was on it, but now he's not of the greatest fighters to never win a UFC title, like you mentioned earlier. What what what's the upper crust right now in that category? Fedor, Dan Henderson, Uriah Faber, and Alistair Overeem. Uh, I mean, I'd have to think more about the list, but yeah, they would have to be on the uh, that that would have to be um, part of it as well. Dustin and by the Poirier? way, don't forget, I was there at the IZOD Center when Strike Force gave me the absolute worst seat imaginable. I want to thank Strike Force for doing that. It was I was so far away, I could neither see the screen in the arena and I could feel the heat from the uh the the you know how they have that ramp with the fire. My back was there was there was I want to point this out, there was no seat behind me. I was literally at the very end. I was next to the guy from the big lead. It was just me and him there in the fucking back like a bunch of jabronis. So shouts to Strike Force for fucking me there. That was always very very nice of them, but that was the same. That was the no same. No grudges held. No grudges held, Luke. Well, I mean, they just. I like Strike Force, but I'll never forgive them for that. Uh, but the point I wanted to make was that was the same card where Fedor lost to Bigfoot. Remember, that was part of the Strike Force heavyweight tournament. And the thought was Fedor would get past his first fight, Overeem would get past his first fight, and then they would meet, I think, in the semis. And it just didn't end up happening that way. You didn't get that kind of a fight. You could potentially, at a much later date, it wouldn't be the same fight, BC, but you could still scratch a little bit of that Fedor versus Overeem itch. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I'm ready for it. Uh, and by the way, I got to say, shouts to Glory. They made that thing look good. Like, that looked good on TV. They both had, when both Batter and Overeem walked out, they had great lighting and an ominous music, and the crowd was really into it. Obviously, I know they're disappointed that Hari didn't win. But it was a well-presented product. I thought that they had done a really great job with that. So shouts to them. Uh, okay, those, BC. Yeah, those those video packages were like almost WWE like Luke, and that's a compliment. That you know they're they're like the industry standard in hype video packaging, and they were pretty good. Yeah, they were. They that was a, that was a well-run event. It looked very good. I'm curious to see how uh, Glory, whatever, whichever the I guess Collision Five or whatever one it's going to be when he fights Rico, what that looks like. You know what I'd like uh, to our, see, Luke? I'd like to see a reunion. Where Glory says, "All right, we recognize that your first run with us—it it wasn't what you wanted. It wasn't what we wanted. But you know, Michael <laughs> Bisping did get a second chance at Dan Henderson to slay the—you know—that that shadow that's been following him, Luke. I'd like to see not only Todd Grisham on that broadcast, but you too. Okay? Yeah, I don't deserve it, and there's better people for it. There are jobs that I want in the combat sports broadcasting industry, and certainly, you know, that would be a coveted one for many, and it would be for me. But I've already done it, and I fucking sucked at it, so." I'm happy to let someone more qualified and deserving uh, have that. But there are other ones that I want if, if anyone is watching. All right. Let's go to point number three here, and then we'll get to the boxing card. Shavkat Rachmanov. It's on the list. It's on the mother effing list. He's going to face Jeff Neal at a UFC fight night on January 14th. BC, Shavkat Rachmanov. 17 fights, 17 wins, 17 finishes. This is against Jeff Neal, who looked fantastic in his last outing 
which, by the way, I was wrong about. I didn't think he was going to look that good, and boy, did he ever look that that good, and then, then some. If he beats Jeff Neal, how far is Shavkat Rachmanov away from a title shot? Wow. Wow, you went there. Wow. All right, this is the right fight at the right time. It's the right escalation of matchmaking. It's also... Jeff Neal, really, by the way, sitting at six in the rankings. And it's also a really good test, critically, of where he's at. Because to your point, Jeff Neal had, has had some health and personal setbacks. But there was a time he looked to be that dude. And he's starting to look like that dude again. Seriously. Uh, so, you know, I made the Johnny Hendricks comparison before, Luke. But it's kind of like he's coming on, dude. Right? He's, he's coming on. Uh, this is the right test. If he slays it, and if Shavkat does it in the manner of which he consistently does he look he doesn't play with his food man he, you know he he eats that shit uh yeah i mean let's can we hand it can we look at this top five luke can we look at the title picture right now i want to know from you okay who's next who should be next after that like how uh, let me ask you i don't know luke i don't know i so, mean i would i would want one more big win but sometimes the top five and where people are at dictate that for you so the question is like how close would he be to a title shot a little hard to know let me read the top one, two, eight, and there's a reason why. Usman and Covington, we know Usman has business. Covington, we're not quite clear what's going to happen there. Hamzat sitting at three. Still, is he going to get out of the country? Is that a thing? We don't know. The big X factor also is what's going on with Gilbert Burns, who wanted the fight with Jorge Masvidal, but that kind of hasn't come to fruition. And then we get to the meat of the real issue. Five is Bilal Muhammad, who takes on Sean Brady, at UFC 280. Six is Jeff Neal. Seven is Wonder Boy, who has a fight coming up as well. And then eight is Sean Brady. So let's let's figure this out. If Bilal wins, maybe he passes Gilbert, but he still stays in that four to five range. If Brady wins, I think he's going to take a big leap up, and he might get inside that top five space. In which case, if Brady wins and Shavkat wins, BC, not only would that mean you and I have to get a tattoo, it could mean you get a Brady Versus Shavkat Rachmanov fight, which would be a fucking banger. Yeah. But my point would be this. If Shavkat beats Jeff Neal, I think he only has one more fight after that, to be yeah. perfectly honest with you. I think Why this is a setup point, baby. for a potential yep. number one contender fight. One time, one time more. And if it was Sean Brady, wow. I mean, if it was Bilal Muhammad, too, that would be the right type of test. Yeah, uh, either way, the, the winner of that fight, let's say. Yeah, th or, things are looking up. And, uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to, what What was the date on this Shavkat Jeff Neal fight, Luke? I didn't hear that. Uh, January 14th is what I have. UFC fight night. All right. Um, uh, you know, we, we got a lot of time before then, but that's that's also close enough to, to really wet the whistle here. Uh, do, how, does the Chimaev conversation play into this at all? I mean, you know, if the... I feel like Chimaev has... He already fought Burns, and there's Colby sitting out there. It's not to say that a Shavkat versus Chimaev... First of all, I think a Shavkat-Chimaev fight, assuming Ch Chimaev can make 170 more regularly, is simply inevitable. There's just no denying that. Uh, but I will say that, like, I feel like Shavkat is just from what he's accomplished. You know, the next order of business, it could be Chimaev. I'll say this. If he goes in there and just blows the fucking doors off of Jeff Neal, well, then we can revisit this conversation. But if he beats him, because here's the thing. Shavkat doesn't come out shot out like a cannon. He kind of takes his time a little bit. So I find, like, the idea of him just running over somebody a little bit unlikely. Uh, and also, Jeff Neal, hello, is a very good fighter. Jeff Neal could win this and advance his cause. So there's that. And also, if Bilal wins, he's been kind of putting together a pretty great streak. Having to, if he if he wins, he'd have you know, recently beaten Sean Brady, which is going to be difficult. The thing I've got my eye on, BC, 
is if Shavkat wins, what about Shavkat versus Gilbert Burns? And what that would say about Gilbert Burns to go Ooh. from Chemayev to Rachmanov. Now, I know that they train together in the certain yeah, they're ways. Teammates. But, they're teammates. Well, okay, they're dude. teammates, but they're, he's not full-time yeah. at whatever it is, Killcliffe FC at this point. I can't even and Gilbert also anymore. just fought his teammate, Kamar Usman, for the title, and now they still right. help each other and, and still train together. So it and doesn't Gilbert be... will fucking fight anyone. Yeah, it doesn't have right? to be a death sentence, but that's a sick fight. That is a sick fight. Uh, I mean, what, dude, what's going on with Colby? Because he does have... To some degree, a pay-per-view brand and a following here is is a is a Shavkat Colby huge fight just as good. I mean, it's not just as good as the title, but to show you what the company thinks of Shavkat, should he win this one coming up? What do you mean? I'm not sure I understand the question. Let's say Shavkat wins here. Okay. And we're saying, damn, how far away is he from a title shot? Well, what if that next offering was Colby Covington in a very high-profile situation? I mean, that would tell you what the company believes they have here in Rockmont yeah. and Shavka, right? Yeah. I don't know what's going on with Colby to answer the first question you had before that. Dana White told the media, or whatever that is worth, that Colby was ready to get back to action. Remember, there still is that existing legal issue with Jorge where he told his team he had a traumatic brain injury, and it's like, I don't know how you go through the lawsuit with that, um, what, or a, you know, a, a legal matter, I should say, with that if that's in play. But okay, n neither here nor there. Assuming he takes a fight, <sighs> the problem with giving Colby to Shavkat, even if Shavkat gets past him, is what you do with Chemayev, unless you just wait for Chemayev to take the winner of Leon versus uh, Kamaru three. Could you do that? Could you just have him sit on ice for a little while? Who Hamza? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as long as you can trust that he's going to make the way, I don't know what assurances they would need to see, but, right. you know, they could decide to just not punish him for missing the weight, Luke, and just, yeah, I mean, that that's also very much in play, but it does feel like Chemayev's going middleweight uh, next at the moment, doesn't it? It does feel um, like His coach kind of poured a little bit of cold water on it, saying it's too soon to say, so I don't really know. By the way, what kind of odds would you lay on Rachmana versus Neil? How would you how would you size that up? Minus three hundred Shavka, even though that sounds Ooh. big. That sounds that big against sound, somebody. Jesus, that does sound really big. But that's also type that could be a sharp line too, Luke. That could be a no. This is really what it's going to be. So get on board. Obviously, I chose I don't know shit about how they set the lines and why. I'm kidding, not really. Uh, you get the point, Luke. They're smarter than me most of the time, but I think you could come out with that line because even like look, if Shavka is as good as he looks, he actually could slice up you know jeff neal and it would be a it'd be an eye-opener luke but it's also very much in play very much you know this uh all right let's talk about the fights from the weekend that were on showtime bc and i called the prelims on youtube as we as a reminder for folks how about old towering inferno himself the praying mantis the six foot six 154 pounder sebastian fundora gets a unanimous decision win over uh, carlos ocampo on showtime championship boxing bc First question here, how impressive is this run that Fundora is on? Because I want to point out something. Started the bout jabbing at distance, which he just normally doesn't do. Spent like the bulk of the fight fighting on the inside, very cleverly, I might add. Then finished it off getting right back on the outside. It was a commanding performance, really, from start to finish. 
Yeah, and there's a couple things going on here at the same time that are all true, I think. Number one, I think we soft played. We called the must-see TV coming in, heading into this fight, right? He just fought Erickson Lubin and maybe the fight of the year. I think we got to, like, double down. You know, we can't say it passively anymore. Sebastian Fundora is right now and will be until he either, you know, wins the full championship or takes his first loss disastrously or whatever happens in between. This guy is so damn entertaining to watch because there's part of you that doesn't believe it could be this good. Then there's part of you that is going to be overly focused on like the things he doesn't do great. Now look, he's getting very good as a boxer. Like he committed to that for parts of this fight and he looks dangerous in that regard. He also takes a lot of punishment in ways that don't seem advisable long-term. And that may be the shift now in the narrative where originally the narrative was, is this, you know, guy who's fun to watch actually really good? Okay, we already know he is really good. I think now the question becomes, is there an equal amount of vulnerability and potential holes in his style to offset the fact that he's so exciting, he can take punishment and keep coming back, and oh, by the way, he's pretty damn crafty. I mean, look, just from entertainment, he's a 10 out of 10. This won't be the fight of the year, this Ocampo fight, but... Just from a dramatic standpoint, dude, there was, this was like watching a movie. It was. There's shit coming on left and right. The referee's warning, uh, you know, Ocampo that they're going to stop the fight. I mean, there's a lot going on. Al Bernstein losing his stuff. This was a fun theater to watch. Uh, but I do have some questions about Fundora moving forward. How, how do you feel to all that I just threw at you? I think I would largely agree with it. I got to say, here's the thing I'm liking about what Fundora showed. By the way, he and his sister have somewhat similar styles. But that left hook that they throw from a southpaw position as their opponents try to chase into them, and they both kind of sniper land it. They have good timing. They have good whip on it. It's pretty impressive. I, I want to say this about Ocampo. Yes, he's very – excuse me, about Fundora. Yes, he's very entertaining. That is true. But two things I think get lost. One, it looks to me like he's trying to expand his boxing repertoire slowly so he can fight in more dynamic ways than just this inside brawling or inside fighting, I should say. And that's the second part, B.C., Watch how Ocampo fights on the inside and watch how Fundora fights on the inside. And there's just no conclusion you can come to other than Fundora is much more scientific in that space. He picks his shots. He has much better defense on the inside. Now, he gets hit a little bit when he backs up and then Ocampo would blitz and just fire something there. That's true. And, you know, a, a part of the reason Fundora is exciting is because he does get hit somewhat. His style contributes to that. But in terms of shot selection and in terms of balance, he was way better than Ocampo on the inside. I just thought that, like, people just talk about how funny he is and how weird he looks given the weight class, but there's not a lot of attention paid to the choices he makes when he fights, and I feel like, on the, at least on the offensive side, there's a real method to his madness, and that shouldn't get lost in the conversation. All right, that's, that's, a, key, that's a key counterpoint, and I want to get back into that, is the idea that I'm saying, man, he is getting better, and, you know, he's, again, a 10 out of 10 entertainment-wise, and now he's... Pretty much next for the title. He's got, you know, he just defended that interim strap. Um, is he taking too many clean shots? And and he'll tell you that he could box, you know, in a different way. And he did as an amateur. We played the, the sound on Friday. But, you know, he loves to entertain the fans. And that is a big part of what he brings to the table. And he knows it. And I think that's smart to some degree. Could you argue that in this fight, Ocampo was, you know, from the midpoint on, was throwing a lot of arm looping punches that didn't look like they had a lot of pepper on them. I'm here to tell you Carlos Ocampo is also a must-see TV moving forward. I mean, he fought his balls off in this fight. I mean, what a what I mean, there was some real hunger in there, but it was very sloppy. Are you are you gonna come back and say 
You're not you're not scared about the the clean shots Fundora puts himself in the range of in this case because it was more of an arm punching Ocampo because Luke if he's going to be in there against a Jermel Charlo against you know a, a big puncher I got, I'm a you know I basically what I'm saying critically here is because of how sloppy Ocampo became shouldn't Fundora have just snipered him on the outside used that big jab and just picked him apart rather than welcoming in that entertaining danger. Yeah, I think you can make that argument. But I just don't understand the, like, well, what if Charlo, he was fighting Charlo. It's like, dude, Charlo has all the fucking belts in this weight class. All right, you you know, maybe against that guy, it wouldn't go that well. So fucking what? <laughs> like, I don't, I, I never, it's like, okay, well, against, you know, the devil himself, uh, well, you, you, you're not strong okay. enough. Yeah, all right. My counter argument you know. is, th- is this. He's got a lot of talent meaning Fundora and a chin and the mindset, the balls, like there's a lot, you know, he's a great interview because he's so different outside the ring than inside of it. But you're trying to calculate what's the best way for him to maximize that potential. You know, which avenue to go? Is it like, we love the entertainment side of this, but is this same style applicable against the very best? And you may say, well, dude, they're the very best. So who knows what that's what you're trying to do, right? That's what you're game planning for. Yeah, that's that's probably fair. I, I do I see a guy who is ready for the very very best that this division has to offer? Not necessarily, not necessarily, but I do see a guy that's got some real ability. Obviously, we already knew he was exciting, and it will be interesting to see his progression. I'm glad he defended not so much the interim title, but I'm glad he stayed busy and continued to work on his craft. He just looks to me like he's going to surprise. I think some people, maybe not the Charlos of the world, but he might surprise some people. Because I do think he was diligently working on the intricacies of his game. Yeah. And the defensive side certainly has some lapses. I'm not going to say it doesn't. But the offensive side is a little bit more dynamic than I think he gets credit. Even and, for all and because the fun he was willing, brings. Because he was willing to take chances and fight at that range, man, was it fun to watch. But I just look at him. I think he's starting to figure out that if he can adapt to put a little bit more safety and thought and defense into that and use the advantages that he has physically rather than just saying, well, hey, man, this is how I fight. There could be a higher ceiling because if he's going to beat somebody like Jermel, and that really is where this talk goes to, Jermel Charlo's going to fight uh, Tim Zhu probably in January, it's looking like. And, you know, to fight a guy like that, it's going to have to be. You're going to have to take some punishment. You're going to have to lean on that huge gas tank that Fundora has, and you're going to have to stay in front of him and just be active and really try to frustrate Jermel and set it up where all Jermel can do is look to counter big with one shot at a time. you got to win on the scorecards, in my opinion, by outlasting him uh, you know, or having that, if you're going to knock him out, you're going to have to do that late by outlasting him and staying in there. I just want to see a little bit more commitment on the defensive end for those type of challenges. But, dude, this was fun as heck. And as much as we want to credit Fundora, and we will, we got to credit Ocampo on the other side who had that 12-fight win streak coming in. And we'd only known him for that, you know, just one punch loss to the body against Spence in round one. Uh, where do you stand on what became a big debate during this fight, and that was around the midpoint. It was a competitive fight, you know, in terms of Steve Farhood scoring, and it looked, you know, it was back and forth on the inside. The referee, Jack Reese, who's among the best in the game without question, him and a California commission member in between rounds were basically telling uh, Ocampo's corner that they're going to stop the fight if they don't see him start to land and show more defense. And they were doing it in an impassioned way that really, in the moment, even if you agreed or disagreed, it was alarming how much they were trying to take control of the fight. And, you know, Showtime's Al Bernstein, the Hall of Famer, who's been through it all and seen it all, 
he took umbrage of that saying, you got a kid who's not been knocked down, didn't need like referee to, to save him. He's in this action fight. Why the hell would you, would you do that? I want to get your take on that first, Luke. Did you agree with the tone and the direction that Al was ultimately going of, look, this is a fight. This is what we sign up for. This kid's in this fight. What the hell are you doing, ref? Yeah, I didn't understand what Jack Reese was so concerned about. Of all the times I've seen a referee admonish someone or warn them or whatever the proper verbiage is uh, and wording is to describe, you know, that kind of I don't mean encouragement like pat on the back, but I need to see more. In fact, he was saying <laughs> Jack, Jack Reese's Spanish is not great. He was saying no duro, like not hard, like not tough enough. You know, it's like maybe be a little bit clearer because I think Ocampo was just looking at him like, okay, whatever. But um, I thought it was, I thought it was fairly inappropriate to be quite honest with you. You could make an argument that uh, I was, I think it was after the ninth round where Al Bernstein was gobsmacked and that you could say maybe after that he turned it on a little bit more. Ocampo did. I think he had his best round the round after that. So that does make it look like, Al was right because it's like they, you know, but they all, it also could make look Jack Reese look right. They challenged the kid to, you know, show us which direction you're going him. And he did fix it to his dude, credit. He never took all, he never got like hardcore stumbled from a punch. He never touched the canvas. He wasn't like laying on the ropes. He was, his, he was, they were like, oh, well, he, he's off balance. Cause watch his posture. He's pushing into Fundora and Fundora is so tall. He's kind of he has to really lean underneath him to get that kind of leverage that he was looking for. And again, he wasn't the same kind of inside. That's what I'm talking about. He's not the same level of inside fighter that Fundora is, and so that that kind of played a role. I just thought if a referee is going to get involved, that's about the weakest case I've seen in some time. I, I'll agree it was alarming. I'll agree that Al, you know, looked right in the end. But here's what: like, if you disagree on Jack Reese's decision to do that, you know, I think you can have a case there. But I, Al didn't seem to understand the motive behind it. I understood the motive behind it. I don't think it was Jack Reese and company trying to necessarily be overly safe for no reason. Luke, even though Campbell wasn't down, he was sort of staggering into one big shot effort or another. There wasn't a thought of defense. I mean, he went after it, and the 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 sap on his punching power was going down second by second. I think that they realized the animal in him. They realized that you know, he was going to be willing to take huge punishment and potentially get starched. You could argue that that's the sport. Let it happen. But I don't disagree with at least the sentiment from Jack Reese. I was surprised that he went to that level to specifically say, I need more defense out of you and I need you to either fight or I'm going to call this fight off. That is interesting to see a referee and commission take that aggressive a tone in a fight so right. close. So Al's right in that regard. But, you know, if he didn't get that kick in the pants, he was looking like he was fading. You wonder... It's it's weird. It's a weird situation, man. It is because Jack Reese almost fixed it by doing that in a way. I, temporarily, maybe. I mean, I think if he had wanted to say, "I need to see a little bit more," and then just leave it at that, like you're not, you're just taking too much without really throwing back, and then just stop there. That's one thing. But then to kind of threaten, you know, or, you know, do this or we're gonna have to call it. It just seemed, it just seemed way too much given that, right? So if you wanted to say that you want a more competitive fire if for you know to I need to see a little bit more and then let them make an interpretation about what that means without like dangling this potential threat over them that's fine i just it just seemed to, I'll, I'll say this it seemed heavy handed it yeah. seemed heavy handed given well, given look, what we were what we were seeing jack reese does have a great reputation but he's also known at, like he'll let you fight you know what i mean he's not steve smoger necessarily like he's not just going to let let you have the fight of the year no matter what but 
he'll let you fight, but Luke, if you try to cross his rules, I mean, did you hear him go when when uh, Ocampo's cornerman poured out the ice and spilled it to try to potentially create create a delay in the action to save his fighter? Yeah. And Jack Reese like, I know what you did. We're gonna take yes. your money. We're gonna find him. I mean, he was like, get off my lawn. But that's what he's known for. People remember Andre Ward's decision over Labamba uh, Rodriguez. Uh, Jack Reese took a point from both of them for trash talking and stuff. I mean, he, he'll jump right in there and, and do that shit. He's also a great referee. It was interesting, Luke. Um, Fondora versus the winner of, of Charlo and uh, Zoo to close. What do you think the odds would be here, Luke? Will people be giving Fondora a chance here? What, what do you think? Yeah, I think Zoo would be a... I don't know what the odds would be because boxing is a little bit weird with the odds relative to MMA. I would say that Zoo would be a clear but not a heavy favorite. Clear but not a heavy favorite. Something like that. Dude, these fights are going to be awesome. Zoo versus Charlo is going to be tremendous. I mean, dude, the thing about Zoo, Luke, we don't know if he's ever going to be as good as his dad, and that's a you know, it's unfair comparison. His dad's a Hall of Famer and a badass. Zoo is willing to t- to take on punishment and danger. To, and that's his style, is to walk into it and just try to outwork you with big shots. I mean, there is craft to his game, but would you di- would you disagree with me? You know, his debut here in the States, uh, who did he fight, Gaucher, Terrell Gaucher? Yeah. Um, I mean, he put himself in in harm's way to try to show you what he's about. Him against Charlo, him against Fondora, the future at 154 is going to be fun as shit. Okay, get ready. This one and 147 are both just on fire at the moment, so I would love to see it. I would again. I would favor Zoo to win. He's a bit of a slow starter, but I think some of the defensive lapses that Fundora has again in, his, in building his game, I think Zoo would eventually collect on those over time. But it would be a, the first six rounds would be very interesting. The first six rounds I think would be highly interesting. So we can't wait to see that. All right, BC, let's do some quick hitters here before we get to some of the questions from the. Oh, dogs. you can't you can't not mention Carlos Adamas, Luke, because he's coming the hell on. Oh, you're you- right. You're right. He probably had the cleanest punch of any single person on the entire fight card. That right hand, I, t- I tweeted about it earlier, that right hand he used to rock Macias Montiel and just, he was sending him like an octopus flailing about like he was an invertebrate or something was unbelievable. What did you want to say about him? Uh, people need to realize this was a major breakthrough performance for him. Adamas, again, he'd fought for the interim title in the past, lost the decision of Patrick Teixeira. He'd been hit or miss, meaning there's times he looks fun and aggressive when he's got the control in a fight. He's also looked boring, and, and I mean, there's you know, he's been up and down. Dude, but Messias Matiel is just a bull. And I know there's people going to go, oh, dude, that guy, he's always in wars. He got stopped by Munguia that time early. Well, dude, that was at 147. This is two divisions... You know, after that, and all he's done since then, meaning Montiel, is make a believer that he is as tough and out as you can find to find out if you're for real. Because he typically, not this fight, will be there at the end. What he did against Jamal Charlo in their title fight that we weren't all that excited about. And I, I think in hindsight, I wonder if Charlo was even close to where his mindset should have been coming into that. Montiel was there, and if you tire against him, he'll just keep coming. Dude, Adamus sliced through him. And the best part of this broadcast was Al Bernstein was saying the key to victory for Adamus, don't switch stances. Righty's your power side. No, this is a new Carlos Adamus. And what he was able to do at Southpaw, Luke, I got to credit his trainer, Bob Santos, who was a longtime manager, had been associated with Robert Guerrero, Arislan Dilara, a lot of fighters. He's coming on right now as one of the go-to hot trainers of the moment. Right now he's got three different Dominican champions now with 
uh, Adamas being one of them in that he's got this interim strap because the reason why this interim title fight became available here is because Jamal Charlo is hurt and hasn't been in the ring since the Montiel fight. You talk about making a statement, cutting through this guy in three rounds, showing a new and improved, you know, you mental this is the punch right here. Boom. Showing a mental focus, an intention, a sharpshooting ability, and to find out him and his wife lost their infant daughter like mm. within the last month during training camp. Uh, passed away. I mean, th this is as tragic as it can be. Luke, you know, like we get sent those press emails every once in a while with the quotes from the, you know, from the public workout or from the press conference. And you can go back in hindsight and you can watch a guy that got knocked out in the first round. What was he saying before the fight? Probably that he's going to come in there and win by knockout, right? right? I did go back and read what Adamas was saying coming into this. And it was like, damn, we maybe should have saw this coming. He specifically said, I want all those watching to realize that I'm not a boring fighter that just likes to win on points. I'm coming to make a statement with a vicious knockout, putting the entire division on notice. Everyone watching this fight is going to love my style because I bring excitement. Uh, other quotes were just all that same direction of like, I'm coming in there to knock him out and, and show you guys who I really am. He's changed. Carlos Adamas is for real now. Uh, how fired up? Because the next fight to make, it's, it's got to be him and Jamal Charlo. It's got to be for the, for the full title. Do you look at him as a real threat? Because he's already said, I'll knock Charlo the hell out. I absolutely do. Now, Charlo is heavy-handed, and I wonder how that might go. Um, also, Montiel walks into stuff that I don't think Charlo would. However, here's what occurred to me watching this fight, which only went three rounds, by the way. I mean, it, which is even more remarkable, because if you watch the first round, they got booed by the crowd. The crowd booed him because it was very thoughtful. Adamas taking his time, seeing what he's got. It wasn't until the second round he began to turn it on. In the third round, he just finished him off like he was nothing. Very surprising that he got it done that quickly, I will say that. But you see, here's what struck me, and you can see this in any kind of combat sport, kickboxing, MMA, any, any kind of uh, striking sport especially. Adamas looked both very, I will say, hyper-focused and mean at the same time. Right now, often there's a trade off there where guys want to fight mean, they kind of just bite down on the mouthpiece and go, and they have to sacrifice a little bit of strategy in order to do that. Or they're hyper focused, they're very carefully jabbing and you know, not taking too much damage. To be able to, go, to do both of those, to combine that mentality where you're, you're fighting very aggressively and landing very hard, like you are clearly trying to do serious damage to a guy, and yet to be sharp and strategic, that is not so easy to do, especially, obviously, against high-level opposition. And I thought Adamas was both of those at the same time, which is why he was able to get a guy out like this. You called Montiel uh, a bull. I think it's exactly what he is. He got a bull out of there by doing both of those at the same time. Not easy to do at all. He was a man possessed that evening. Dude, that's, I mean, that is a look-at-me-now performance because people that used to watch when Adamas was with, with top rank and... It was a little was bit with, lackluster at times, to be quite yeah, honest with you. when he was at 154, it was like, you know, okay, like he, he looks like he should be fun. He's not always fun. I think that he's had the change, you know, he's been through setbacks, now the personal setback, he had something to fight for. Now he's got this interim title. It's time to make the Charlo fight. Oh, God, this is, this. if, if this guy is for real, Luke... He's a real threat in this division, and I do want to pour one out quickly, though, for, uh, I mean, Montiel, Luke, he, he's, I, I mean, it's not a sustainable style, Luke, long-term, but he is willing to, I mean, dude, he's a cowboy. I mean, this is like, damn, right? I mean, he's willing to 
He's willing to take your best shit and, and see if you're tough enough to hang around for a while. Well, problem was Adamus was. Yeah. <laughs> the problem was Adamus yeah. was happy to do that. So yeah, yeah. Uh, good, good win for Adamus. And if they make Adamus versus um, Charlo next, I'd be more than excited to watch. Oh, he also right. called out Triple G after Adamus did. So there's that well, too. Well, okay? I mean, you know. You know all right. Um, all right, quick hitters. We'll go through these relatively quickly. Then we get to the questions here. BC, Patty Pimblett is looking to return. At UFC 282, I believe I have my notes up here. That'll be December 10th in Las Vegas. He did make an interesting point about it. He's like, dude, no one's going to say no to a fight with me. One, because I got the hype. And two, because they all think they can beat me. I have to say, he's right. I can't imagine that anyone would say no to a fight with Patty. Really, at any level of the fight game in the UFC, they would all want it for any number of reasons. I would love to see him back. Have you thought about a fight that makes sense? I've been on the Drew Dober bandwagon to yeah. get Dober a fight with Patty. Is there a better name out there that you could think of? That's about right, because what is beautiful about the current flavor of his marketing potential, and you and I think at first we're like, oh, man, it's kind of an annoying gimmick. I don't think he's for real. He hasn't fully proven the for real, but he's made enough strides in certain key areas where you're like, oh, okay, so this is, I understand this character a little bit more. So you're still going to have the polarizing people to come see you win and celebrate just as much as people come to see you get knocked the hell out. But while you're talking about these shorter, immediate, like, okay, prove this now and then keep climbing. I'll prove it here. And here's a fight night main event and prove it here. Oh, here's the ESPN prelim pay-per-view featured bout or whatever. I mean, there's different ladders to get there. When he says me versus Conor McGregor next could be the biggest pay-per-view fight in UFC history, I'm sorry, not history. I'll take that back. Could be the biggest fight you can make right now, pay-per-view buys-wise. What do you react? How do you react to that? You mean like of existing permutations you could make? Like if, you know, we're waiting. What the hell is McGregor going to come back against? What's it going to be? When? What's it going to look like? Are they ever going to test him? Okay, how about next against Patty Pimblett, a guy who might be that next big crossover star? Is he I, right? I guess, okay. I guess that might be true, but like the fight would. I mean, here's the thing, right? Like, if they made Jones versus John Jones versus Francis Ngannou, it's like, okay, is Connor versus Patty bigger? Certainly would be bigger overseas, uh, in Europe and, and in the UK and the Ireland in Ireland, excuse me. So, okay, that would be true, uh, maybe, but like, the fight would lack any of the same significance that Jones versus Francis would, and I understand that pay-per-view sales are often not in any way overlapping with fight significance. I don't know. Like, how would you, what would, what would sell more? I guess is the question, right? What would sell uh, more? That's why I'm saying Connor it. Like, or John versus uh, Francis. Look for us to, for me to intervene and introduce this topic in the midst of this quick hitter is, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that are just going to throw up hearing that. They're like, F that. What are you talking about? But I do wonder if, you know, maybe he's not wrong. Maybe if you did combine their two personalities right now, it could be the biggest pay-per-view sale you can do right now. Even with what you said, Jones and Ghana, which would mean so much, would mean a shitload. But, you know, unless you're doing Connor Nate 3 or Connor Habib 2 right now, this might be it. So, Luke, um, we don't know what, what Connor's situation is going to be, but his brand is so valuable to the UFC either as a standalone, just for curiosity, in a situation where you give him another cowboy-like soft comeback to try to make him look great again, or... You can use what's left of his brand for good. Dude, isn't this how you make your pay-per-view stars? By feeding them to the old names? I mean, is, wouldn't this... You said it wouldn't be as big as John Ngannou, certainly not in meaning and titles, 
But in right. terms of that handoff of the pay-per-view King Baton, is that enough? Uh, like, if he fought Connor, he hasn't beaten. I mean, dude, if we're talking about like, hey, but we that's the that's the potential. What Dober, I'm saying is, I mean, if you're Dana, you got to weigh this. If Connor, you know, it's a big event no matter what, and if Connor wins, okay, he's back. But if Patty wins, how big? Does, like, what does he become from that? Pretty yeah, big, he becomes he becomes something absolutely enormous if that if that if that were to happen in the way in which you're describing, but it seems so premature, so premature. Uh, all right, let us just think the, about it. Just simmer on that for a couple of days. Get back I to shall. me on Wednesday. I okay? shall. How about this one? UFC 283, Johnny Walker versus Paul Craig. Got to tell you, BC, ain't nothing wrong with Walker versus Craig. Love, love yeah. that light heavyweight contest. Do you share my enthusiasm? Yeah, look, styles always inevitably make fights. This has got such a hella contrast in styles. And then you add it into that the fact that Johnny Walker has shown it from both intention and now execution an increased ground game. It took a while. I mean, the last couple of fights weren't overly showing you that his wrestling is is gonna be there, you know, but the, the submission win did seem to show a different different level of focus and confidence and everything. So you put that up against Paul Craig's Spiderweb. Leave a message. I'll call you back, Luke. I'm going to be watching this fight, okay? All right. Bobby Green has accepted a USADA sanction of just six months. I think he's eligible to come back like next month or so. He uh, BC, he, pop, he was able to prove that he popped positive for DHEA from a supplement he bought at Walmart. <laughs> I have to tell you. <laughs> Of all the places to buy supplements, I'm not saying I wouldn't ever do it from Walmart, but it wouldn't be first on my list, BC. You know what I'm saying? Would you think it was a uh, branded great value? You think it was that brand, Luke? <laughs> just like, just I mean, the worst kind of creatine imaginable. You know? Yeah, great, great value creatine. Know. Buy one. What get... was the last thing you bought from Walmart? Last thing. I know what the answer is for me because they they put one uh, not far from where I live here. Uh. uh soil for the ground yeah for to to plant like uh to plant shit yeah that there you go i got uh floaties for my daughter so she could you know go into the yeah. pool uh and not drown that's that, see that's both a responsible parent purchase and a little bit white trash i like it luke okay yep certainly is i certainly i certainly was dub t up in that bitch <laughs> uh all right bc ufc 284 is reported to be held in Perth, Australia. I don't have a big take on this. It's safe to say that's where they're going to put it. By the way, you can see the UFC is going on the road a little bit more next year, which is nice to see. But on top of that, BC, I don't know if you remember this, the last time they were in Perth was four years ago. I believe Jimmy Smith was on that call. I think that was, I could be wrong about this, I think that was one of the Whitaker-Romero fights, something like that. But Yes. Wasn't the reason uh, I bring Hook, it, Hooker on that card too, or did I just make that could up? Could have been. But the reason I bring it up is because it's uh, it's at, I think, the western edge. I've, I'll double-check here, but it's at the western edge of Australia. And John Anik, who I was following on Instagram, still am at the time, was detailing his travel to get there. And it was the most fucking insane thing I'd ever seen in my life. He was on his hands and knees, and he typed, I think one of his captions was like, uncle, right? Just just calling <laughs> uncle, crying uncle by the time he got there. But I am. I will say this. Happy to see the UFC back uh, on the road a little bit more, especially for that Australian market. It's a big, it's a great place. I agree with that, and I think uh, Mark Hunt was on that card as well, Luke. If I'm not mis misspoken or mistaken, uh, Luke, would you agree with me that for as much as we enjoy the potential of a back-to-back -back best MMA programming award, and you know, I don't care, you know, who's coming after us, I I'm 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 ready to look for blood and attack. Uh, you know, Submission Radio could deserve a nomination in this category. They've I mean, easily one of the most underrated 
uh, podcasts or YouTube yeah. channels, however you want to look at what they do, they got hammered too because they were coming to a lot of the events here stateside and because of the pandemic, they've kind of been on ice for a little while. Um, but I'd love to see, I told him, I mean, I would love to see them out again. We'll get some beers. I was hoping they would come to the New York show. I don't think that's happening though. So, uh, they, they've, they go after it in terms of guests, you know, the, when, when a guest does their show, it's always a, one of those must see fight week interviews, you know? So I give them a lot of credit. Uh, indeed. All right. So let's see what else we have on here. Uh, okay. Patricky Pitbull says that Usman Nurmagomedov, he's happy to fight him. I want to be clear about this. And they are, they have a fight coming up, but. He was like, he's only getting this title shot on name alone. He hasn't beaten anyone in the top 10. And I was like, I think that's true. Let me double check. BC, I don't know about the part about the name, although he's probably right. It is true. Usman Nurmagomedov's best win is Chris Gonzalez, which is a nice one, to be clear. But he doesn't have any wins over anyone in the top 10. A little bit too soon for him? What do you think? Well, look, it's it's this is one, this is what you call fast tracking, okay, for sure. And if he looks like... You know, could he be the goods? And also you get Habib as his, you know, trainer, cousin, and cornerman carrying on the tradition of, of the late Abdulmanap. Does that also potentially create a ratings boon if he is as nasty as he looks and becomes your champion now? I think all things are, are correct, Luke. Yeah, it is a little quick, but at the same time, he's absolutely dominating people. And it looks like he's the next hand. Where's my cupboard, Luke? Can I get a cupboard with just another, and I'll just get out another hammer? Holy hammer, Luke, okay, right? I mean, damn. Damn, crop, holy hammer. You you know, uh, yeah, all right. Uh, there you go. There it is. Uh, I would agree. I, I tend to, by the way, I think he's going to win too. So maybe I'm, maybe we're crazy. And I understand his point, but I was like, all right. And then, uh, I mean, who else? Oh. Yeah, the question is who should have got it instead of him? Look, that's the question. You could have said Tofik Musayev. Because he had the win over Sydney Outlaw, and Sydney Outlaw is ranked, and Musayev ran over him, but he's only got the one Bellator fight. So you could do that, but here's my thought. I think Nurmagomedov's going to win, and then you could just do Nurmagomedov versus Musayev, which is also just, you know, the battle of the hammers. Yeah, basically. so all, here's the deal. You know, Scott Coker is a co-worker of ours, technically, under the Paramount uh, banner, and yeah. shout out to... Uh, is he? Is that what shout he is? Shout out he's to Scott Coker, of ours? My, my co-worker. And I've, I've, you know, I've loved, interviewed him a million times, so always got love for Scott Coker. But on this show, it's our job to tell you if, you know, matchmaking is done right or wrong or have an opinion on this. This is a win. This is one of those Scott Coker wins. It would be promotional malpractice if he did it the other way, Luke. This is the way. This is the way. Okay, man. I, I would tend to agree with you. I would. And by the way, yeah. for folks being like, he hadn't fought anybody. I'm like, well, he's about to because Patrick is a tough yeah. guy, and I think Usman's going to win. But we. You also get a Habib in a Bellator shirt, Luke. Not a bad idea. Not a bad yeah, idea. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. You got him filling it out though. Filling out that Bellator shirt. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. My I man, mean, he may, he may not be having any beer, but he's definitely been having a few cheese. Yeah. Well, come so on. God bless him. This ain't no Daniel Cormier level, Luke, but shout out to DC Dude, getting that money. I, I, there, there are two things you love more than anything else in life aside from boxing. Number one, probably uh, abhorrent stalking of female fighters on Instagram. That's one. Oh, God, and two, no. fat shaming Daniel Cormier has to be one of your favorite things I've ever That's seen. That's not fair. You can't prove that. It's, you know what I mean? You know, have you seen the show? I can't prove it. Yet. It's just a suspicion that I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. There All right. Go. Time for you guys to ask us questions. We put up an Instagram post every Sunday. You fill it up. The producers pick questions. It's DM from Whoa, Luke. whoa. Let's get to it. All right. We'll do that other thing later, Luke. Oh, wait. No, the reading. Yes. Sorry. My bad. Let's do that very quickly. I apologize. Uh, before we get to DMs from Donks, BC, the best time to prepare for growth is before the opportunity arrives, especially 
for online businesses. Yeah, here's the deal about our friend ShipStation. Sets you up for growth by directly integrating with every shopping cart and storefront. So your products are easier to find, easier to manage, easier to get info in the hands of your happy customers. Yeah, I'm talking about ShipStation. One way I like to avoid holiday stress is getting on top of our online products and shipping before the shipping starts to get crazy. The easiest way I have found to do this is with ShipStation. This way we don't have to feel overwhelmed and play catch up and can feel reassured our customers are receiving their orders on time. Yeah, no more limiting your businesses to one store. I mean, who does that? ShipStation integrates with every platform. We're talking about Amazon, Etsy, eBay, Shopfly. Yeah, making it easy to manage all of your shipping from one simple dashboard. Guys, this is the future, 2022. We can buy uh, gas with credit cards now, Grandpa. Okay, get on board here. This helps to maximize your sales with minimal effort. Yeah, not Shopfly, Shopify, uh, but you can save time with consolidated order management and automated shipping updates for your customers. Easily compare carriers, rates, and delivery times to get the most out of every send. I did mean Shopify. That's where I go, Luke, trying to set up our uh, OnlyPipes account there. But the thing, though, Luke, is get the same discounted shipping rates as Fortune 500 companies. You deserve it. Whether you're sending a stack or a truck full, join and support companies using ShipStation such as Sock Club and Siete Foods. Yeah. Ship more and grow more with ShipStation. Go to ShipStation.com today and sign up with the promo code, all one word, Morning Combat, for a free 60-day trial. Yeah, why don't you support us by supporting people we like? Start today and get set up before the biggest shipping season of the year. Again, that's a two months for free. Visit ShipStation.com Click the microphone at the top and type in our code Morning Combat. <laughs> All right, let's get to the first question here on DMs from Donks. This comes to us from at Joe Bryan 1990. Gee, I wonder who is this and where they're what year they were born. Um, do you think Oliveira will have issues making weight, or do you think he's realized he might need a daily health drink? Perhaps it just so happens AG1 is a comprehensive, convenient daily <laughs> health drink with 75 <laughs> vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced food sourced nutrients. Made for just about everyone, just one man's opinion. BC, what do you think? I mean, look, it's it's helped my black liver uh, stay in, in, in function, Luke, and it's helped me to clean up my life every morning. It could do the same for Charlie Olives. Either that or uh, I got three letters for you, Luke. Chef K-A-S, okay? I got to tell you, I think, uh, I think he'll be just fine. I really do. I mean, one never knows because you're right, MMA's crazy, but... I think we're going to get Oliveira versus Makachev. I don't know if we're going to get any weigh-in shenanigans. I just, I feel pretty good about it. I feel pretty good. Maybe, yeah, who the fuck knows. All right. From Patient Panda 1. How are you feeling about Muhammad versus Brady being on the prelims? And who wins? Is that on the fucking prelims? Let's double check that. Yo, before. yo, I'm not getting a tattoo if that fight's on the prelims. Come on, UFC. No, All you right? can't. You can't. You can't do that. So as it stands, the main card... Fucking A. It's the main event of the prelims. Jesus. Um, yeah, they've got Chukagian versus Fioro leading the main card. That's a good fight. And I I understand that because that's a highly ranked fight for the women's flyweight division. But just in terms of my interest level, I personally would prefer it to not be there. But I kind of get it. I kind of get it. Okay. BC, what tattoo are you going to get if Brady wins? Have you thought about I mean, it? You how, start, motherfucker, it's two weeks away. You need to start putting some some mental energy into that. Well, first of all, Showtime picking up the bill. Second of all, how big am yeah, I required to get 
to get this tattoo. Like. I think it could be quite small if you wanted it to be. Yeah. All right. All right. You could get my signature on your face. You know. Do you know that in addition to Damien the Donk, uh, who has the MK tattoo among some, you know, gory ones, Luke. Uh, our guy Gaff has a tremendous MK tat on him, Luke. Uh, I have seen that. Yeah, it's pretty pretty goddamn impressive. If I do. Say oh, and so Tristan myself. added another, you know animal that can kill you onto his left arm it looks really good actually i didn't see that did he really yeah he put a deer on his uh bicep he said it hurt like shit and the deer looks angry luke yeah that the inside of the bicep is a very 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 sensitive area that's a hard one to get all right from denny leblanc 007 this guy definitely works in an office <laughs> what two fighters are fighting each other for the third or fourth time for a title Excuse me, when two fighters are fighting each other for a third or fourth time for a title, is that exposing a weak division? Obviously, yeah. he's making reference to Figgy <clears throat> and Moreno 4. If if Askarov had beaten, uh, you know, KK France, or if, you know, France had defeated, Kaya France had defeated uh, Moreno, we wouldn't be here. It's just the way things played out. This is a very fun division. This is, come on, Danny LeBlanc. Are you trying? I mean, this is like, you know, yeah, maybe it he is in the office. It could be the case that they are making. It, so it is always at least something worth thinking about where if you're going back this many times to the well, what else is in the well? Fair well, enough. The well is fucking fantastic, though, okay? The well has given right. us three incredible fights. Like, yeah, we'll do a fourth. And if Moreno wins, he's this, he's a hero. I mean, he's a, you know, he's a Mexican hero, Luke. So uh, this is... This is what you do when you're on when you're promoting. Look, we you know, I don't who cares about four minute commercials? Look, you gotta give the promoters respect when they get it right. They got it right here, okay, Danny? Come I mean, come on. All right, all right. From Jack McGinn, what makes the difference? Now listen to the question between the modern and not modern era in sports. He's not just saying UFC, he's saying in sports more generally. BC, how would you tackle that? I think it depends on the sport, to be really fair. All right. So give me an example of some demarcation lines in sports you watch? Uh, pro, pro football, it's certainly the protection of the quarterback, which has made passing and receiving statistics absurd, right? Right, that'd be one. What about basketball? That's another one you watch. Uh, yeah, that, you... that right around 2003. I think the hangover from the incredible 90s lasted uh, lasted pretty long because the Lakers won that, that uh, the trilogy of championships. But I think the change in rules, because, you know, I love '90s NBA like like anybody, but it became a defensive grind down half court, you know, pick and roll or or post up uh, situation, and that wasn't great for global, you know, potential of ratings and cashing in on the money. So they opened the lane up, and it produced this wild and crazy era we have today, where a guy like Steph Curry can become, you know, M like Steve Nash MVP, let alone becoming like a you know all time great. And but that does you know Steph Curry's going to end up you know, on his back hurt shooting free throws in 1994. Okay. So like the game changed with the change in the defensive rule, the lack, you know, the three seconds, which uh, allowed teams to essentially play zone. That was a big part. And then the, you know, continued movement to keep that lane open. So that little guys can with no longer a hand check to slow them down. I mean, heck they put Derek Harper out of business, uh, the, the greatest hand checker in NBA history, but uh, that opened that game up. So I think there is a, you know, there's a line there. Um, Boxing has been pretty, actually pretty consistent, Luke. I mean, there's, you know, the line is really the heavyweight division because of the the super heavyweights we've had beginning in the 90s. But, you know, pretty much boxing's about the same. And uh, when do you think, let's let's stay in MMA and obviously looking yep. mostly through the UFC lens. 
What do you think is the cutoff? And it could be also the the marketing cutoff and the, you know, when they became household name and people accept them now as one of the major sports. What do you look back as, as the beginning of this UFC era? 2011, probably starting with Fox. Okay. Um, but there's another one before that. I would say all, so Ultimate Fighter 2011 would be one kind of era. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure what the modern era would be classification in a, there, there could be different views about what the true or broader modern era is. Certainly, you would have to have the unified rules, which would be Jersey 2000, 2001, right? That would be at a bare minimum. You'd have to have that. All the weight classes are in there. It's regulated, that kind of a thing. And then 2005 is the Ultimate Fighter. 2011, it goes to Fox, and I think that changed a lot. Also, for women, I, I, dude, this is true. When I first started watching women's MMA, it was three-minute rounds. It was fucking bullshit. So certainly for them, it wasn't until the rules got adapted to match the men's game. And then also adding the five rounds on top of it, too. So um, somewhere in that 2009-ish, 2011 space, I think, yeah, is our, the newest era that we're in. Our producers are trying to put the put it as the Reebok era started the new trend. I think that's just part of it. Okay, it's part of that. It's all connected yeah. there. Yeah, but really, all, like part of it. That's right. You know, you could argue that the timing was that Lesnar was the bridge between the two eras. Is that incorrect? I would agree. I I very much agree with that. Yes. Okay. Yes, very much so. So you're just trying to see like what are some seminal events or changes that essentially make the sport different or usher in a new wave of talent that itself makes the sport different or rules or whatever. And then there's this whole batch of fights that happen afterwards, and there's another seminal event. Those are some of the eras you're looking for. Uh, let's see. And then last but not least, BC, good question. From CLP Film, since it's Halloween season, which, by the way, is one of the most underrated seasons of the year, we, Halloween should be a holiday, just yeah, my personal opinion. Well, it's part of the best of the four seasons by far, Luke. So it's a big part. You know, to some people, it's a huge but part. But we don't get it off. That's why it's kind of bullshit. But anyway, what are your favorite horror films? Good question. What do you we've, think, BC? We've tickled this before, and, you know, I'm not a, a horror genre, you know, historical expert and might have shitty opinions to those that are, but, you know, Halloween 1 is is just, like, in a separate category for so many reasons as a pioneer, as just, a you know, changing the way we can look at that. I mean, obviously, something like Psycho, if you want to go back further, certainly could. But of what I've seen in modern times, and it's not everything, and, yeah, I got hooked on those teen slasher horror movies, Luke, the screams and the, I know what you did last summer. Cause they put really hot chicks in there. What are we going to do, Luke? And they were also pretty good too. But the first saw film I think is, uh, is just horror genius. Um, if this question's pointing you only though, to Halloween specific related, I mean, has there, what, what, what am I, mi I, I don't know the modern canon. So what am I missing? Luke? Um, I'm not a big horror expert either at all. I would say Texas Chainsaw Massacre, got to be on that list. Um, you're right. The first Halloween is excellent. You know, do you want to put Freddy Krueger Nightmare on Elm Street series on that? I guess you have to. Yeah, right? I mean they had a they had a uh, they had a commercial and cultural impact. I don't know if anyone would. I was never that. that big on Freddy Krueger being all that interesting a character. To be quite honest with you. Yeah, he felt like the GoBot comparison to the transformers you know to looking at like he was the hey jason is everything people love friday the 13th we need a new crazier version mountain dew extreme version right yeah that was what freddy krueger was it was scary as hell at that age let's give him credit it worked yes yeah because the thing is he got you in your dreams and that was always like really, really yeah fucked up 
I mean, Chuck, um, the first Chucky is pretty awesome. Let's be fair, okay? Dude, I fucking hated that. I always thought that was so funny. No, awesome. I even saw a Bride of Chucky in the theater, and I'm not embarrassed by that fact. I got a free ticket, but I, brought, I snuck in six different cans of beer, Luke. I, Dude, I mean, I'm not, not afraid. not being shameless is not a great thing. I always want to be very... I mean, I'm also not shameless in certain ways, but Did it's you ever not see like Bride I'm... of Chucky when that guy steps out into the highway and gets splattered by the motorhome coming by? I mean, it's, a, it's just tremendous. It's just... It's unbelievable. I will say that one movie I saw on Netflix Netflix recently, uh, my brother told me, and I'm not, and again, he would know better than me, but he was telling me that like the people who are the very best at horror movies apparently are Korean cinema. Now, I've only seen one that I thought would fit no that bill. Have you seen, it's, it's on Netflix. It's called, well, here's what I'm told about the Koreans. I'm told that their cinema is like intensely scary and intensely gory. Um, are you talking you about North Train or South Bus- Korea here, Luke? Well, right. of course, South Korea. Have you seen uh, Train to Busan? It's a zombie flick. Have you seen that? Obviously not. Okay, I haven't. It's on right. Netflix. I'm not like this. Is not some like esoteric movie. It got pretty wide American distribution. Did did uh, uh, did did Kurosawa uh, consult on this, Luke? Kurosawa is Japanese, also dead. Train to <laughs> well, Busan is recent, so that that would. Yeah, you know, I was I wasn't making that link based on their origin of country. So you don't have to make me look like I like I'm an ignorant fool. Well, Luke. don't I, ask bad I do questions. a good enough job of that on my own, okay? Yeah, so I'm 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 trained to Busan as a zombie flick. If you're into zombie flicks, uh that one was fucking intense to be to be quite honest with you. Um beyond that though, I, well, you know what, you know what's a like a fun horror movie? It's not I wouldn't call it the very best by any stretch, but like kind of fun. You ever seen Cabin in the Woods? I don't think so. It starts out as like uh, a spoof of like teen horror movies, like almost comically to that effect. Like they're definitely like wink, wink, nudge, nudge in on it. And then the whole tide turns and you're like, what am I watching? This is not what I thought it was at all. Pretty fun. Pretty fun little movie. Cabin in the Woods. Check that out. Uh, My favorite horror movie in the 80s was April Fool's Day. Remember that one, Luke? I don't. I don't. All right. All right. It was it was good. People that know, they know. Okay. You know, 1986. Right. Yeah, yeah. Check it out. Okay, thank you. Uh, that's it for us for DMs. Time for BC's feces. Let's do it. Yeah, this is how we close the show on Mondays. Uh, your boy scoured the globe yesterday. It was it was, it was a small globe because there wasn't a lot of combat sports. So this is the good, the bad, the ugly, in some combat, but largely beyond. We call this. Uh, have you have you seen this shit? BC's feces. Oh 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 yeah. Uh, Luke, we get, we're not starting with the big ticket items because there wasn't many. So let's go regional MMA KOs of the week. These are the Kaposa specials. Shout out to Grabaka Hitman. Oh, uh, look, this is from the MMA GP promotion. Cedric Saravac just <laughs> laying out David Karp. I mean, he turned him into a dead fish. I think Sean Salmon just rolled over somewhere, Luke. Just stepped right. I mean, he gave everything. That was a little Draymond Green Jordan Poole. Yeah, yeah, that was. That, that was, in fact... Uh, Damn, that actually looked like. Remember when Jermaine O'Neal lined up that fat dude during the Palace Brawl? Kind of looked like that, you know. <laughs> I mean, the he could have killed of that. The guy. NBA Finals should be forced to fight its fans. Yeah, yeah, I'm into that. Yeah, there you go. Uh, let's go over to the to a promotion card called the War Four. Check out these headbutts from uh, uh, from Tomas. Uses the headbutt to set up the uh, jab knockdown. Hell yeah, right. Now, are the headbutts legal in this uh, yes, godforsaken place? Because this guy, Tomas, was headbutting the shit on this other clip that I don't have. He was just going straight headbutts. This was unbelievable. Yeah. It's a weapon. It's not good for your brain, but it is definitely a weapon. 
Wow. You ever seen that. a you ever seen a headbutt in the wild, like in, in in real person, like in a street fight? Like if somebody tried to third world another guy. I saw the... I saw one. I was not working at the bar. I was just there minding my own business, and a and a fight broke out. This was actually here in D.C. in Adams Morgan. I won't even say the bar, but anyone who knows the area. And this was like circa two thousand eight, seven or so, which was that was when that place was fucking wild. And I saw a guy. This is true as fuck. These two dudes were kind of jawing at each other, blah, 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 getting separated, pushing and shoving starts, so it's escalating, right? And one dude just rears back and leans into the other dude and headbutts him. And you could tell he's headbutted people before. He hits this dude's nose and blood splattered like oh, that's, fucking that's Jackson just... Pollock. It was un... I've never seen... It was maybe the best headbutt of all time. It was, it was crazy. I was sitting like six feet away in a in a Manhattan restaurant, and somebody got a glass broken over their head. I didn't see it though, Ooh. but that that noise that was, that was pretty loud. Yeah, you kind of yeah. knew shit was going down when you heard that noise. You know, that was that was wild. Uh, let's keep it going here, Luke. Uh, this is from Venator Twelve, Ven- Venator Venator Twelve. Yeah, I don't that's know. Uh, the Italian promotion. Well, check out this, this kid. Jumping... This kid. This kid who won. They call him the Sniper. I forget his name. Michael is, Pagani, if, if yes, you could look. Yeah, pay attention there. to him. He is an, a very interesting prospect, this guy in the red. Dude, that is vicious right there. Brutal. Deluxe. I mean, I mean brilliantly placed. This other guy was overcommitted, and he lined him up with this absolutely perfect. All right, how about some weekend boxing KOs? We had to go to Russia with love to find uh, Let Him Bang, bro. It's Justin Lane, and Luke, he stepped in there against kickboxer turned bare knuckler turned actual boxer Vlad Tunov, Tweenov, I don't know. But uh yeah, Julian Lane got splattered. That's that's vicious. They're not really showing the 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 shot all that cleanly. He basically catches the left hook, excuse me, catches the right hook from Oof. Lane and then because he knows that that's open now because he caught it, he comes right back around, pops him. Oh man. Yeah. What a shot. What wow. a shot. They did let him bang. That's what happened. Uh Luke Greg Hardy is back. He made his pro boxing debut. Against a guy half his this. size. Over the weekend, it turns out he's he's successful here, too. This is a second-round finish. Here's the start of the second round. Greg Hardy in the black and yellow. Greg Hardy appears to be the size of the Predator here. As you would say, he's on that Daniel Cormier-Eaton program. Yeah, he's still, he's still got that power, though, and at this level, it, it works. So, I mean, here's the thing. What, what would you say about his UFC run? He did prove he's a dangerous striker. He definitely proved that. Yeah, and that he his cardio crashes uh, yes. to an alarming degree, and yeah. <laughs> uh, he had no ground game really. Yep. Um, and yeah, and well, were... good good for you on beating uh, a dude that probably is not great. You know, I think it's probably fair to say. Yeah, he's he's definitely not great. A uh, KO uh, of the boxing KO of the year contender out of Pro Box TV in South Florida over the weekend. Here is Cesar Francis with the uppercut from Hades. Perfection. Wow. Just waited for the jab and for him to step into it. He was stepping too hard, right? Steps in and just pops him. What a shot. Maybe they're in Central Florida. Pro Box TV right there. Uh, Let's go to Showtime Boxing, Carson, California. This is what we talked about earlier with Carlos Adamas. Switching to Southball, only this time he brought the power with him. Just enjoy his crafty work on the finish here. Oh, oh, dude, he was sending Montiel left and right. Montiel looked like a flag in the middle of a hurricane. I mean, he was just getting whipped. I mean, just a reminder, Montiel went 12 full rounds with Jamal Charlo. 
This was a third round finish from Adamus. It was eye opening. So there you go. And this is there not his dominant stance. His dominant stance is orthodox. He did all this largely from southpaw. Uh, That's the most impressive part. One of the most impressive parts of the night was the title rematch opener when Fernando Martinez once again took it to Jerwin Ancajas, winning a second straight decision. Luke, check the swag. Can you rate the swag level here on uh, Argentina's son? High. High. Definitely high. He's got the um, uh, he's got the Argentine colors of the flag there. Looks like a bit of a smurf. You know, not going to lie. But Can we go dude, full he, screen? He, Dude, look he at fought, he fought like a fucking animal in this fight. Well, one second on his fighting ability. Look at his his promoter Marcos Maidana, the legend in the background. Dude, the way these guys dress, um, I got to start dressing like these guys. Look, I got to become Argentinian. I know I'm already accepted with the Welsh. I know we've got you know French and Lithuania in how, origins. How can covered. you be so pro Argentinian? Which is fine. I support it. Dude, and not have ever had chimichurri in your life. I don't understand that. You know, I had. It's I did so have, uh, delicious. It's so good. I did have blue cheese dressing on top of a steak and at uh, the Boxing Hall of Fame of Rowan, New York, Luke, at that uh, at that casino there at the top, at the rooftop restaurant. It changed my life. It really did. I think Dude, it here's what we got to do, and I'm dead serious. We need to get you a steak, or really, there's lots of things you can eat chimichurri with, but we got to go to an Argentine steakhouse and get you some chimichurri. It's gonna blow your fucking mind. Good All chimichurri right, well, is unreal. Uh, let me shout out to close Argentine boxers historically, the badasses like the Maidanas, the Matisses. Uh, but this guy, uh, Fernando Martinez, dude, he's good, man. I mean, he's quick. He's he can box, he's but he's his combinations when he has you cornered. Um, dude, you know, Paula Cole once asked Luke in 94, where have all the Cowboys gone? Dude, they're from Argentina and they're boxers and they're absolute badasses. Um, can I stigmatize Argentine boxers and say, look, they're all they're all gunslingers, man. They, they come to party. Uh, shout out to Fernando Martinez there. And do you see him read that list of about 100 names you wanted to thank afterwards? They almost... They almost Apollo hooked him out of there. Yeah. I uh, I fast-forwarded through that part, if I could be honest. All right. Uh, the Draymond Green Supper, Sucker Punch of the Week Award goes to this man who trying to send Spider-Man deep down, Luke. All right. I mean, this is, you know, this is the, for the people who who are uh, super into Hasbulla uh, comedy. Yo, Spider-Man got a receipt for that, though. Oh, look at that. Now, oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm oh, not going to yeah, do this bit. I'm not going to okay, do this Okay, okay. I'm we... sorry. I'm sorry, Luke. We'll keep it going. Uh, we talked about Rico Verhoeven, Verhoeven, the glory heavyweight champion for about a decade. He got in the ring afterwards. Let's listen to him go face-to-face with Overeem. If you're gonna do this to me, I am so gonna, afraid. You're even gonna I'm last so afraid two rounds. You ain't even gonna so last two rounds. And you know what it is, guys? You know what it is? It is very unique. He knows him a street fight. I would annihilate this man. But we're, talk, we're not and talking about a street fight, right? That. You're in the kickboxing ring. You're in the kickboxing ring. That's what you're doing. So afraid of We're not talking about the glory Yeah, we're not talking about the street. And you're gonna do dance guys your own silly event. See, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, it's hard. Verhoeven's a beast, and I had a long talk with him once when uh, when I did work for Glory. This was in, like, Virginia Beach. Very nice guy. Smart guy, too. But it is hard to talk shit with a turtleneck on. I got to be honest with you. You got a turtleneck on. <laughs> no, you know, it's very hard to a look little, There's a little Bond villain in that, Luke. I thought he pulled it off well. 
I don't say he looked bad, but it's hard to be taken seriously as like a dynamic fighting threat when you've yeah. got, you know, lands and on. That's what people say about me wearing this drug rug as a potential broadcaster. Looking at yeah, not <laughs> not what you're looking for. Uh, I would see. I'm ready for that fight if they want to do it, though. Please. I mean, here we go. Let's. Do oh, yeah, it. I'd be all in. I'd be all in. Uh, let's go to WWE Extreme Rules pay-per-view. The main event was Seth Rollins versus uh, Seth Rollins versus uh, what's his name, Luke? The, the, the UFC how guy. The well, how the fuck I, should I know? How the hell am I forgetting his name in this moment? We'll get it. Uh, but here's a special guest referee. <laughs> and it's Daniel Cormier, Luke. And, I mean, you know, a lot of people say he looks like a footlocker referee. Was it you who texted me and said they're not doing him any favors with this outfit? No, that wasn't me. Although, now I can agree. They're definitely... The, the vertical stripes... That's tough. That's tough when you got the vertical stripes uh, yeah. going on. You know what I mean? And obviously, thanks to our producers, it was Matt Riddle who was I was not getting. It's Matt Riddle versus Seth Rollins in the fight pit. DC's your referee, and Luke, footlocker jokes aside, do you know who he kind of looks like like this? Let's be fair, Luke. Okay? <laughs> Did I do that? I mean, he looks like Carl Winslow a bit. I mean, come on, right? 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 All right. All right. There you go. I mean, <laughs> I mean seriously, Luke, like... You know, I'm not DC shouldn't come back. He's got a great, great broadcasting career ahead of him, but he's not. I mean, can we go to the next? He's not making. I mean, here's the thing: if DC can't get fat now, when can he get fat? You okay, know but saying? you know, he's not making 265 anytime soon. Where's go to the next no, slide, please? No, I don't please. think so. I don't think so. Yeah, not making it. But uh, look, he did look like well, he he's belonged. got some high waters on there as well. The yeah, yeah. Gee, we expecting uh, a flood there, Daniel? I know this was a childhood dream for him, and I can respect that. And you know, it was cool to see him. And here's the big. The big spot from the match, Matt Riddle, who, of course, uh, had some issues with weed in the UFC, but was a good fighter, was on a four-fight win streak. He is now at the top of the pops with the WWE, and here's part of his victory over Seth Rollins there. Uh, yeah, bro, right? Yeah. Dude, uh, is this this is a pretty remarkable turnaround for Riddle, though, right? From where he came yeah, from? Yeah, no, he's done. I, from what I understand, I don't really know in this particular case. Jesus Christ, man, you're going to fuck up someone's ribs doing that shit. Um, is he... I guess if he's in a match like this, he's at the top. I mean, would you, how, what would you like? What what level of success has he attained? Is he a list professional wrestler? Is that I'm where told he is? that this. I'm told that them booking him to win this specific match in the main event against Seth Rollins is their attempt at finding out what they have in him right now, like sink or swim at the top. Because if you can do it, you're on the Roman Reigns level with us here. You is know? Seth Rollins a list? Yes, Ro Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins. Even from my distant position today it's obvious to tell they are the one and two and then bray wyatt came back at the end of this match luke so that's things are looking I up say, i don't I, watch it I, I, I really you know not that the professional wrestling world needs to care what i think i i miss the days of professional wrestlers looking like cartoon characters with all the roids they were taking i mean they still they still use luke okay oh i'm sure that fair. they do i have no doubt but you know, the larger-than-life ones that we grew up with in the 80s. They don't quite look exactly like that. No, that's not a sustain. That's why they all died at 43, okay? It's not sustainable for your life Fair with enough. all the Fair drugs and life on the road. Hey, Luke, rate that tad is back. Uh, this is Juliana Killer Miller edition. So this she is not a bad. This is actually not bad at all. This is a pretty good. This is a pretty well-done tattoo. Here's the it's hard to see. Some of the pictures the are a little bit blurry. Um, I, I think she's got she's got some kind of ancient Egyptian figure uh but this is by athlete standards this is definitely good and i would even say pretty good by and large this is a pretty good tat yeah I, th those look like those are pretty cool they, they stand out that one right there look i would get something not in a diamond shape maybe in a circular shape i don't hate that i'd get that look I, okay. I like the the uh the 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 wolf or the dog 
better than I like the lake. The lake doesn't is not my favorite part. I have a uh, this is my view. This is my personal view, and obviously, I, no one really cares. But I don't think, in general, blues or greens look that good as tattoos. Um, that there are exceptions to that, but in general, I feel like that is true. All right. Uh, more MMA fighters in the wild in their natural habitat. Here's UFC women's uh, flyweight champion, Valentina Shevchenko herding sheep somewhere, probably Kyrgyzstan, Luke. This uh, it looks like good plow experience. This To some people, Luke, this is a wedding invitation. How about you? Are you making some joke about the third world or something? No, the, this is like... There's a real woman here, Luke, right? What's like, the what's the wedding invitation joke? I think people want to marry her after seeing this, you know. Well, dude, she has the horniest fans online. Let's just be very <laughs> honest about that. The people who comment on she can put up a post where she just hold like, you know, wearing normal clothes and the look at her mentions and it's the horniest incels on planet Earth. It's unbelievable. Uh speaking of natural habitat, Corey Anderson, Bellator fame was up in his tree stand hunting when he got the Notification on his phone to sign the contract. He has re-signed with Bellator. That that was interesting, Luke. You ever been in a tree stand? No, I, I, I'm really I'm not against many things in life. I'm really against hunting, Luke. I mean, I, it's really? not like I'm. It's not like I want to pick it and say, you know, if you do that, there's something wrong with you. I, it's just so not for me that I like. I would never go. You know, I've done it a few times. Um, I did not enjoy tree stand hunting because you got to do it for really, really long periods. And I got eaten alive by mosquitoes doing that. Yeah. And I didn't really care for it. But I will tell you, dude, hunting is a good thing. You actually, re- well, I should say this, regulated hunting. Right. Oh, it's got a, there's a, there's a like the, part it's, of It's society. actually better for the population of the animals that are affected. It calls yes. just enough of them to keep, for example, like disease, um, less of a problem for some of the populations. You, you got, regulated proper hunting is a very good thing. And, you know, there's, Hunters that are by the books, use every part of the animal. I get all that. Look, I, you know, I love eating a burger or, or, or some finely cooked chicken. I don't want to be there when it goes from life to death. Yeah, though, but see, that right? makes you a complete hypocrite. Like these animals, you know, again, assuming it's done by the book, and, and there are obviously many, 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 most hunters, I would say, in fact, do that. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a proper thing, going out and getting your food and eating a wild animal versus just, oh, let's let all these cows just be viciously slaughtered and these pigs live in crates where they can't turn around. I'm not, I can't, I can't, no. I can't abide by that shit. Did you just try to call me out for being a gatherer though, rather than a hunter? <laughs> uh, more just a taker. You're just okay. a taker. <laughs> the undertaker. Uh, let's go to Justin Gaethje. He's trying out uh, ski jumping. This is interesting. That's good for his athletic career. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, John, on. I'm at a press conference. I got a question here. here let's go. <laughs> Oh boy, yeah. I would. I it's mean, like, it's like it's like this dude's a is a phenomenal athlete. Here he is. Hey, and then he's gonna bust his ass right into the pool. There you go, into the drain. Yeah, I, my ankles just broke watching that, Luke. That scares me. I can't. I don't. You can't put me on. I I did cross country skiing in the winter with my wife a couple years ago, and it was all ice. That was hell. I went down. I mean, I was just down. You know, I was. It was like. One thing Pamela- you take for granted is like I learned skiing when I was like you know single digits or you know early teens or whatever. And when you fall, obviously it sucks, but your body just can tolerate it much better. Bro, you know, people are like, how, you know, when you're 40 and you fall, you might as well just be 80. All your yeah. shit's going to break. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hips, yeah. back, crack, the whole nine yards. Uh, Luke, the uh, transitioning here, the Bills Mafia have holding tryouts for new members. And 
I don't I don't think this guy not, not not a book reader in the parking lot. Oh, here we go. <laughs> oh my god. You think any one of these guys has ever made the honor roll anywhere in their life? Look at these. Oh, guys. that is brutal to watch. Wow. All right. Uh we talked about horror movies before. Did you, you good? See, <laughs> did you see Caleb Plant who will be back in the co-main event of Saturday's Deontay Wilder PBC on Fox return pay-per-view? Yeah, this uh, should be a good one by the way. His boxing shoes, he'll be Caleb will be fighting Anthony Durrell. That should be an interesting fight, but the Freddy Krueger inspired boxing shoes that he'll wear. Luke, your thoughts? Um I'm kind of into it. I'm kind of into it. I don't hate it. Okay. I thought it was pretty they're, cool. they're not they're not like the prettiest thing, but they got a little uh, those I don't like. I don't like the are these See, the, that's what won me over. The, the, that's like that screams Nightmare on Elm Street. I get it. I like it, Luke. You know. See, I here's like the it. thing. I like outrageous clothing like this for boxing, where guys. You, like, remember, remember the, uh, for example, remember the trunks and the, really the overall outfit that Gervonta Davis wore on the Mayweather McGregor card, where yeah. he looked like a Smurf. He had those weird ass, like super puffy trunks and stuff. I feel like if you're gonna do the the crazy exorbitant thing, that's the venue. Taking it into the street with like the Air Force Ones or whatever those were. Not my favorite. Not my favorite. All right. All right. Uh, Luke, what As about I this NHL? a Cannibal Corp shirt. How about this NHL fan? Here's our fan of the week throughout pro sports. Um, he's <laughs> he's ready for the post game. Is that Jeff Wagenheim? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, he's he's ready. He's ready right now to get that thing I gotta going. I got to tell you, dude. Dad's, d- dad stoners. That's my demo, BC. That's my yeah. demo. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. All right. Uh, your demo is also, also taking... We, 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 don't talk, we don't talk enough about this. We talk about like how hardcore NFL team fans are just dirtbags. I, I got to tell you, hardcore. if you're above 40 and you're a hardcore like <laughs> Bruins or something like that, like a fly, can you imagine someone being like 45 years old and being a hardcore Philadelphia Flyers fan? There is no, no way you're not anything other than a complete shitbag in life. I'm going to guess a lot of our fans, though, Luke, fit that category, and I'm okay with that. We got room for them. Probably. We got room for them, okay? Uh, You also hang out in the hashtag girl dad circles, RIP the late Kobe, Luke. Here's a playscape fail. You got to be careful if you're going to get too involved with Tukes, Luke, when you go to, like, the the playgrounds and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the fat man just falling through. It's Dude, they so have good. they have these little indoor playgrounds all over the place in Colombia, all yeah. over the place, and we go to these ones all the time. And uh, they're a little more regulated than this piece of shit one, but um, yeah, this is uh, pays to not be fat, BC. It yeah, pays that to guy, not be fat. That fat guy ate it. But the next question, Luke, is would you eat it? Let's go to this category. Uh, I think they call this well, they call this heaven, but. I think this is the intersection between Mexican and American culture. They're called hot dog and bean tacos. Ian? First of all, whoever made this needs to go to jail right away. <laughs> right away. Send them to jail for life. What See, a complete fucking disgusting waste of a perfectly good taco. And there's a slice of cheese in there, too. Yo, yeah. fuck the guy who made this. Yo, I'll, here's what I'll say. Like, if you're a real one. And you're eating a barbecue hot, you know, hot dog at a barbecue in the backyard at a party. You put a ton of ketchup on that. But if you go to the next level and put baked beans on top of that, then you you figure you've figured out how to cheat, you know, in life. That's that's the code. You figured it out. You have achieved greatness. Transitioning to the hard shell taco, I mean, it's it's kind of it's 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 in the same family. Look, I'm not against it. All right, dude, this is prison food. This is prison food. This is what you eat when if you're Ted Kaczynski's eating this at the supermax. 
This is I created my own prison. Yeah, yeah, Luke, right? You know what I'm saying? And I sell. And bro, listen, I'm into frijoles con salchicha, but not like this. Yeah, like this, this segment brought to you by Creed. Uh, let's go to this next one, Luke. I think these pops are located, uh, these are on the D, somewhere near the D. Uh, would you eat these, Luke? Uh, haven't we done this bit before? No, we haven't actually. It's we've had we have not. Uh, that's I a mean, dirty dong. More, could you put more sugar <laughs> on this motherfucker? I mean, what are you trying to do? Give me diabetes by age forty-four? Would you try it? Yes or no? Fuck it, Friday. Yes, yes of course I would. What do you think I am? Got okay. some refined palate. I'm a fucking dirtbag too. Well, how about these? These are called Jaeger bomb hot dogs. Would you try these? Oh Jesus Christ! First of all, you're boiling your hot dogs, asshole. You can stop right there. Ketchup Red Bull with a boiled hot dog, poke holes in it, <laughs> pour Jaeger into it, seal it, pan sear it with more of the Jaeger sauce, put it in the bun, mayo and ketchup and mustard on it. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't hate this, Luke. I'm sorry. I mean, you've seen my bare toes. I don't hate this, okay? All right. The end of Total Recall when the guy exposed himself as a lizard, Luke. I, I'm, a, you know what I mean. I'm the lizard king. Okay, dude. Why do people want to cook food in order to make it worse? I don't understand that. There isn't right. the whole idea of cooking to make it better. All you had to say was no. Okay, it was. Would yeah, but you it's eat like, it? yo, BC's like, yo, would you try this? This guy has a hot dog. He's gonna put road salt and fucking <laughs> cigarette butts in it. Would you eat it? Like, no, fuck, no, I'm not eating that. All right, I got one more. Maybe you'll try this. I think they call these Luke Air Biscuits. <laughs> All right. <laughs> BC, the answer is an enthusiastic yes. Oh, wow. Wow. Stephen A. wanted nothing to do with these. Uh, Luke, we've long established that subways are the weirdest places on earth, right? Like subway stations or subway sandwich? Subway stations. Well, subway sandwiches are probably cooked in that same grease. But uh, yeah, subways are pretty weird, Luke. But have you ever seen this type of subway mouth art before? This can't be New York City. No, there's no way. That's you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't get away with it. There'd be, dude, none. if you, if you walk down the platform, down the stairs to the platform and you were high as balls, this might kill you. This might like, this might, this might dude, kill the, you with the amount of heroin coursing through the veins of people who ride the, the subway <laughs> in New York city, you would absolutely have a heart attack here. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's go to the, to the typical subway videos we get on this segment. Okay. You got to keep them off the pole, Luke, okay? And, and parenting... This is what I always tell people. I know there's a mass debate about COVID, and I'm not here to rehash it. <laughs> I'm just telling you, if you get on the New York City subway and you don't wear a hazmat suit, you're a moron. You're a fucking moron. <laughs> the New York City subway is the most disgusting place, beckoned with disease, I've ever seen in my fucking life. Luke, the following calisthenics are brought to you by hepatitis. <laughs> Like, dude, why does this, dude? It's like, also, if go your to the ass itches, go is, to there the a is there a more? Hold on, BC. Is there a more? Is there a more effective way to scratch your ass than that? There's got to be. <laughs> dude, I fucking this guy's on Broadway. <laughs> I fucking hate the New York City subway. What a disgusting piece of shit place. Woo, wow, get, get, all right. get, 
get your hands off. You do the first thing you should do is not touch anything, and the first thing you should do when you get home is just burn your shoes. And this asshole is up here just putting his hands. Gla- you know how much homeless urine this guy has just caked <laughs> on his fingernails at this point. Yo, fuck this guy. Yeah, indeed, indeed. All right, we got a couple more to close with. Uh, we got some more regional MMA mayhem because anything can happen. You know, go. Please support your local regional MMA show because this might happen too. Yeah. Oh, I've been to a show where this happened. I've been to it. This happened to a Strike Force show years ago, by the way. This is a true story. I think oh. Jorge Santiago fought on that card where the, the door wasn't sealed. Yeah, exactly. The door wasn't sealed and they popped right open. Dude, this is for folks who think UFC is real MMA. I know they're like their catchphrase is as real as it gets. I'm trying to explain to you that's the most sanitized version of MMA. This, ladies and gentlemen, is real MMA. This is what it normally looks like. And you get highlight reel finishes like this amateur fight. Let's go to the next one. Have you seen a fight end like this before? Oh, the referee caught Mel. Yeah, I did see this. Oh, oh, yeah. Bah. (laughs) Rolling thunder. These amateurs, amateurs, they'll just throw anything, bro. They're just just spamming technique. Yeah. Yeah. And the old referee just fucking took an L. Look, what did you used to say about, like, large white women who wear Crocs? Well, just anyone who wears Crocs, except right. Violetta deserves to be fucking you know, <laughs> beaten with a car antenna. Well, Violetta, we don't oh, want to see you. And, oh, I mean, and just is... face first into the fucking yeah. grass. Yeah, all right. Well, well finally, trip Luke... over? Oh, dude, her ankle turns. Yeah, I would imagine your ankle stability when you're this, when you're this size would be a challenge for you. Luke, we try to hit every every corner of the globe here to let By you know By the way, hold on, on, hold on. Go back, go back. Show one more time. Show one more time. When Big Bertha starts to tumble, watch the dog. He's like, Yo, fuck oh, this. come on, poor dog. That I hope they caught the dog. That Luke, dog was right? like, I'm not, I'm not. The sun is not going down on me today, good sir. <laughs> I'm a Democrat. Yeah, okay, there you go, uh, Luke. We we hit all corners of the globe to let you know what's going on in combat sports. Here's an update from Poland on what Joanna Young Jacek is up to in retirement. Seems very like things cold. are. It's very cold in whatever room she's. In. <laughs> it seems like things are pointing up. I mean, look it up, Luke. So it's uh, it's not too bad. All right, that's it's the very shit. chilly. Very chilly yeah, where she is. That's the shit of the week. There. I hope you saw it. All right, there you go. There Good you go. job, BC. That was well done. There. That was well done. Wow, we gave the we gave the people a gift today, right? I gotta say, we got given chicken shit. Except for obviously the Fundora fight was pretty great, but other than and the and the you know, we had two fights we could really sink our teeth into. But other than that, we had to kind of. Make some chicken salad out of chicken shit. I feel like we did it pretty well, you know? Friday that's why, show we, was that's why we win those awards, Luke, okay? For the moments like this. Thank you. All right. Reminding folks, Showtime.com is the label that pays. You can go to Showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can bounce. Tomorrow, our producer says, Mikey says, I don't think Luke mentioned once that we had to have an out and that we need to hurry up. That's right. I didn't. I didn't. I let it I let You're it a changed man. Even though I hate going over the two-hour mark. Uh, also, want to remind folks, BC, tell them again one more time what's out tomorrow on the YouTube.com yeah. slash Morning Combat. I think it's 11 a.m. We'll get back to you on that. But tomorrow, get ready. Morning Combat documentary number seven, Homeward Bound, man. 40 minutes of love and joy. Our gift to you. Thank you for all the support you do for us. Yeah, it's self-indulgent and ridiculous theater. But, you know, who else can do it? Well, I mean, does your other favorite show do this? I don't think Probably so. Probably not. 
Probably okay. not. They probably maybe don't. that's why they're going further in their career. No, no, we're on top, baby. Okay, because of bullshit like this. Thank you to Jake von Amsterdam and Matt Snyder for for parenting this project, Luke. It is a it is a love affair. You'll see it tomorrow. And uh, why don't you buy our merch in the meantime there at morningcombat.store. There you if, go. Even if you uh, want to buy way, that gross shirt, if you have to, like it's fine. Yes. Like, also, want to remind folks: Wednesday's fan subs, Friday's dead wrong. Morningcombat at gmail is the place to send those. The producers will. In fact, see it. BC, any final thoughts before we close the show? Yeah, fix your gut with AG1 and fix your credit with Moneyline. That's all I got for you, okay? There it is. That's it. That's all I got as well. All right, so for Showtime, Mulka and CBS Sports, that's Brian Campbell, the King of Connecticut. I'm Luke Thomas. We'll see you guys on Wednesday. The documentary is out tomorrow, and until then, may all of your gains be loyal.